I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo and Sam Monson. We're here with uh, the series that everyone was asking for from last year. We're bringing it all back, fixing your team in five minutes. Today, it's your AFC East and South edition. How you doing, Sam? Good. How about you, Steve? Doing great. Uh, before we get into it, though, of course, we have to... Uh, you promised the people that we would have <laughs> our, uh, our dueling charities ready to go. I and did. I haven't completely done my homework, but we're gonna we're gonna huh. do this anyway. Okay. I mean, I have mine completely ready to go. You you just didn't do your homework. Is that what you're telling me? I've got some options. So I don't have my GoFundMe set up. I didn't know we were supposed to have the GoFundMe set up right now. Do you have any part of this ready to go? I've got a charity. Okay. I've got potential options for the uh, punishment. We'll see how. What do you mean potential options? We've had potential options for weeks. This was where you yeah. choose the option. Yeah, but I'm going to let you go first and see what uh, <laughs> see what you're see what you're rolling with here. Okay. Well, I have a GoFundMe set up. If you go to my Twitter right no, now, no, 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 you can't PFF. push people there yet. You can't oh, until I'm set up. This is how this is how this works. If I do my homework, I can get a I can get a jump on this. All right. So if you go to at pff underscore sam, it is my pinned tweet. Um, the GoFundMe is set up, ready to go. I am donating money for a group called Sunshine Kids. Um, and what Sunshine Kids do is raise money <clears throat> to put on fun activities, group activities for kids with cancer. So, you know, childhood cancer. I think there's something that happens to you once you have a kid where you start to have this insane degree of empathy with just any childhood, childhood illness that you didn't have before. Um, so anytime you see sick kids, it hits the heartstrings for me. They put on like group activities to, you know, provide some fun entertainment just for kids to feel like kids for once again. And I think that that's an extremely valuable thing to do. I've also discovered while we've been doing this, that there is a whole world of like quality spectrum of quality when it comes to charities and like how much of the money you raise actually goes to the thing they do, as opposed to like buying office space in Manhattan and all that kind of crap. So the uh, Sunshine Kids charity is rated extremely highly by the places that rate charities. They give all like a huge amount of their money percentage wise to the thing they're actually supposed to be doing. And the thing they're supposed to be doing is raising money for kids with cancer to feel like kids again for a while. So I think that's a really worthwhile thing to be doing. Um, my forfeit, as you might be able to tell from the little, uh, the little inter, you know, the, the graphic down there in the bottom right, if we raise the money and I win, I will recreate a Jackson Mahomes TikTok video dance 
from start to finish, including the dress. I think I can repurpose the Steve wig from the baseball thing if I spin it backwards. I think I can get that like curly quiff thing at the top. Um, I bought a chief starter jacket. I, I need a big chain from somewhere and then I need to learn how to dance and then I'm good. Based off what I'm looking at right now, I don't think you have to learn how to dance. Well, maybe not, but it probably needs something more than I'm capable of doing. Either way, I've got to figure out how I learn one of these routines, and that's gonna that's gonna suck. I am I, I, so so. I love the charity. That's awesome, Sam. I'm I'm angry at society that what I'm looking at right now is actually like something people watch. Yeah, I'm actually I mean, that mad. Guy's got at, a lot of followers. What's he got? I don't know, but I'm mad at humanity for it. Jackson Mahomes TikTok. Google says the man's got 244 million views. Did he just flash uh, the camera? Did he just? Oh, you got to do the shirtless one. No, that's not happening. I want to do the, the shirtless one. The chain. I'm not. We're not doing this topless. That's I'm really that people can't deal with. Maybe there's a stretch goal. We can go topless. We'll see. I'm really upset. I was going to do this, by the way, because somebody you suggested that this. I was going to do. I was going to do the TikTok thing. Well, maybe if you'd done your homework, you could have done that. But uh, but I let you go first you too. <sighs> All right. I'm still. So anyway, give me till the BFF end of the day. I'll have. Sam. I'll have my official punishment. BFF underscore Sam, go donate money right now and uh, make sure mine wins because Steve didn't even bother doing his. What's the cutoff here? When are we doing this? I I mean, I set a goal of $2,500. We just have to put a date on it and whoever's got the most money raised at that date, that's who wins. (sighs) All right. Obviously, the date will have to be after you've actually bothered to set yours up. Yeah. By the end of the day, mine will be set up and I'll have it tweeted out. Uh, That's good. Great charity, Sam. And you're right. I mean, it is good to make sure that the money's... uh, going to something useful. So I like that. That's great. It turns out is like a bigger hurdle than you would have thought it was, right? You just assume charity gives money to the good things. There's there's places out there that are pretty sketchy. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so I was going to go from a... Do you have anything else to add to that, by the way? No, that's okay. that's my pitch done. I will. If you want to see me dress like Jackson Mahomes doing some kind of TikTok dance, that's how to make it happen. I was going to default because somebody suggested the Jackson Mahomes TikTok dance, and that seemed like it's in the sweet spot of, you know, bad, but, you know, not jump through a table, break your back bad, you know? Yeah. Should I break out the table? I think you should, but, you know. Maybe I'll break, I'll jump through a table with my Josh Allen jersey, potentially. All right. I'll, I'll officially get the punishment at the end of the day. The, um, I'm going back to the well, the first charity that we did, which was Heritage House over here in Cincinnati, because uh, they are near and dear to my heart. They're close to my heart. My, the, uh, they house, at any point, 50 to 75 recovering men of all ages, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, whatever it might be. So it's right here in Cincinnati. It's in our backyard. The success of the program has been unbelievable, and I'm always trying to do anything I can to give back to them. So that's going to be my charity again. It's a faith-based recovery program over here in Cincinnati. So I'm going back to Heritage House and I'm actually going to, I think to like really, maybe, maybe I'll get my, uh, my friend who manages the house on. If we can get him three minutes, we can help sell this thing a little bit. Um, hmm. Is that legal? Uh, I mean, well, I three minutes. I'm going to give him three minutes of podcast time to tell the people why they need to, uh, to donate to Heritage House. Um, but yeah, see, look, we got it up here. On the YouTube channel right now, so that's where that's where we're gonna go. Um, I teased a potential haircut. My wife nixed that. Well, maybe we'll, that would that would win though, Sam. I'm convinced that if you got like you were saying, 
go back to your high school haircut, which for most people is like a much worse haircut than the one they're currently rocking, right? Like if I went back to a high school haircut, the hair would A, be longer and existing, um, and B, would be some kind of weird like long flow deal, right? So generally speaking, most people's high school haircuts are a lot worse than the thing they currently have. Your high school haircut was like a buzz cut. You got that and you would look in the mirror and be like, why have I not had this for the last 15 years? No. What have I been doing with this ridiculous like jerry curl, like extra from coming to America deal I've had going here? I like, do you not want to lose look at that my and question everything you've done in the last 15 years of life. No, I would want to get back to this as soon as possible. And it would probably take six months. So that would be, you know, maybe the residual effect is not what we're looking for here. But I'll have my GoFundMe set up for Heritage House, and I'll have my, I'll have my official write-up by the end of the day. Okay? So nobody <laughs> donate to Sam until I'm set up. Make sure we're ready. No, I think, you should, I think you should respect the process, and therefore just out of, like, out of, out of sheer, you know, respecting the person that did his homework and, and not the guy that didn't, you should be donating to my charity. I f if I put my high school haircut over there, I could see you taking your charity money and actually throwing it over to me just to see that. That's that's what I, I can't would do. That unfortunately, not your charity so money, but I could see you sunshine kids. I could see you taking your own checkbook and throwing it out. Oh, right I would definitely donate to see you have to have a normal haircut. <sighs> this is a normal haircut. This is this is legit. Anyway. Um, we're having a lot of fun with this. We thank everybody that, uh, that has gotten in uh, involved in the previous charities. What are we, over 15,000? Close to uh, 20,000? Just under 15,000. Just under 15. Uh, so far through five charity drives. So we will, we're going to keep this going. And we appreciate everybody that's involved. Um, and we'll just, we'll keep reminding you. We're not going to spend the whole show on this. But we'll keep reminding you. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at PFF underscore Steve, at PFF underscore Sam. And we'll keep you updated on this charity drive. Ready to get into some yeah. football? There's a lot of people that are mad when we talk about charity. Yeah, I mean, lot. there's a small vocal minority of people that get upset when we do anything other than talk about football. But look, ultimately, we're raising 15 grand for charity so those people can deal with it for a couple of minutes. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, they can. And uh, but people tune in to uh, to get to do some football as well. So you ready to get into this uh, to the series here? Yep. All right. So we're going to start in the AFC East. We did this last year. The Genesis of this was we were going to do a show where we were going to hit every team and we were going to do it rapid fire. All 32 teams, mm. we were going to fix every team in five minutes. And we started with the Dolphins or something last year. And all of a sudden, it just went off the rails. And we're like, all right, forget the five-minute thing. We're all in. We're just going to go each team one by one and give you – uh, you know, full breakdown. It turns out it, tur it turned into about four shows, turned into four shows. Exactly. So we could fit about eight teams into one show. So we're going to fix each team using the draft free agency and potential moves. Let's start with the Buffalo Bills because we're going through the AFC East right now. Bills coming off a divisional round loss their last two seasons. We've got an AFC uh, championship loss, divisional round loss. So now to fix the Bills, they don't need fixing. They need to get over the hump. How are the Bills going to get to a Super Bowl? Sam, what, is, uh, what, what do you think the biggest keys are this offseason for the Bills? And what are some uh, potential fixes here? Well, the thing for the Bills is just stay the course. Like, I actually think Buffalo is one of those teams that are they're in the right place. They're moving in the right direction. They assemble this entire roster, you know, to beat Kansas City. They had Kansas City beat and then 13 seconds worth of implosion and they didn't have them beat anymore. So 
I just, they're a team that the danger would be you overreact to that one defeat and you're like, blow it all up. Let's start over. Let's figure out, you know, where we went wrong. Let's figure out all the problems. Um, no, you're like, you're moving in the right direction. This thing is headed in the right place. You probably should have been a Super Bowl team this year. You're not just re up, like maintain the roster, continue, um, you know, turning over the depth in the areas that are, that that's applicable keep building on the defensive line, keep bringing in guys like Emmanuel Sanders on these low, um, you know, relatively low deals to be part of a, a really good receiving core and just re-up. Like, let's see what happens next year. Yeah, I mean, when you look, uh, we, we already did our team needs piece, right, which is different than this where we're trying to, you know, maybe give some some suggestions and everything here. There aren't glaring needs for the Bills. That number two cornerback spot is something we've talked about for a couple of years now. Uh you know, we, we uh, you do want to have somebody opposite Tre'Davious White that um, could be an upgrade over Levi Wallace, who who hits free agency, and so I could I could see corner, you know, being one of those spots where they, where they could really upgrade. I also think one of the places they should look is the interior of the defensive line and free agent. You know, we just did today strengths and weaknesses of the free agent draft in the uh, on the PFF NFL Daily. And we said the interior of the defensive line is not not the best place to uh, you know upgrade here in free agency, but in the draft there are some some players, and I wonder if getting one of those big defensive linemen that's that's going to help you in games against the Patriots, in games against a Colts power running game. Right? We talked a lot of this year about how the Bills are built to beat the Chiefs, but you also want some flexibility to beat some of the better running teams in the NFL. I wonder if if they're primed for a guy like a Jordan Davis, who is the monster 330-pounder from Georgia. I don't know if he's going to go in the middle of the first round, like a lot of people have predicted, just because he doesn't bring much as a pass rusher. But the way the Bills like to invite the run, play coverage, Jordan Davis is going to be a good fit for a lot of different defenses, because he could hold the point, hold up against double teams, opens things up for their linebackers, either him or a Travis Jones, another 350-pounder out of UConn who could be more of a second-round type of player. I wonder if the Bills need to spend a draft pick on one of those big, huge interior defensive linemen to complement the uh, the edge guys that they got last year, the developmental Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham. I wonder if a true nose tackle should be uh, you know, on the list here for the Bills. Yeah, or they also got a career year last season out of Harrison Phillips, you know, a guy they drafted in the third round a few years ago, and he is that type of run-stuffing specialist, nose tackle. He's not the same size as a guy like a Jordan Davis, but, you know, he's a 310-pound-plus-ish type of run-stuffing specialist that doesn't offer a ton as a pass rusher. Um, and he's scheduled to hit free agency this season, Maybe I, I don't know that his market will be huge simply because of the style of player he is. He's exactly the kind of player that you look at. You know, the, the first stage of team building or the offseason is of all the guys you have that are scheduled to hit free agency, who are you going to prioritize and try and keep? And who are you going to actually let test the market and, and hit, the, um, hit the, the offers and see where they go? Harrison Phillips for Buffalo is one of their guys that's that's coming up and expected to be a free agency and is one of the guys that I would imagine they would actually be interested in keeping around and seeing if they can retain him for a relatively modest deal and keeping that part of the defense intact. Because I agree, that's definitely a part of this defense that 
I think needs a little bit of attention. Um, they've been a bit unfortunate with injuries in that area, like Harrison Phillips himself got injured, not last year, but the year before. Star uh, Loder Lele has been injured as well. They haven't necessarily gotten a ton of production out of the guys they brought in to man that particular spot. But I wonder if Phillips is a guy they would try and keep because of that. Yeah, it's not a bad thought there. Again, like when you go through this roster, there's not a whole bunch of players that are hitting free agency. The other guy on the defensive line, or a couple guys on the defensive line, Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, so maybe edge depth, which, uh, you know, last year at this time, again, the Bills didn't have massive needs, and, and they, they drafted, when you look back a year, and you say, okay, they drafted a Gregory Rousseau, who, who contributed as a, as a rookie, did a nice job, but he might really take his big steps forward here in year, in year two or in year three. They drafted a year early, the Bills, right? A year before Jerry Hughes free, hit free agency or, or drafting a, a big tackle like Spencer Brown, who uh, could take over at right tackle, push Darrell Williams into guard. Uh, so they did a really nice job adding depth in the draft last year. So it's not that edge is a huge need, but you know, the, I've also seen some of the the late first round, like David Ojabo from from Michigan, designated pass rusher types that you know could step in, replace Jerry Hughes, be a good late first round pick there as well. So I, I do think defensive line is another place that they're going to look at. Whether it is Harrison Phillips at nose, whether it's a uh, a fresh nose tackle from the draft, adding another pass rusher in there. The other place I'm intrigued about because they're officially three deep at receiver when Gabriel Davis breaks out and looks like Jerry Rice you know I mean he was the four to start the season technically Stephon Diggs Cole Beasley Emmanuel Sanders Sanders is gone Gabriel Davis I mean they're, they've, they've got this top three group of receivers which is great you can add depth there sure but how what is this right now we getting heckled live oh wow I guess so they're just dropping hmm. that right on there doesn't matter why you're at home. doesn't matter. Um, what about tight end? You know, Dawson Knox has shown some flashes where he's been this, this key target. What about like a Zach Ertz and, you know, getting a guy as a, a hired gun, one-year tight end to come in, work the middle of the field. We still saw Zach Ertz add a ton of value to that Arizona Cardinals offense. I think Ertz would be a nice fit, have him and Dawson Knox as potential options. And again, just attack with a ton of playmakers and make it so difficult to cover the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I mean, I think they really like what they get in in Dawson Knox generally. Um, I think that overall, this is a team that likes to win with uh, wide receivers as opposed to their tight ends. You know, they're not one of these multiple tight end set type of um, type of sides that there's a reason they've gone so heavy and so deep in the, the wide receiver group. Um, and they want to really attack um the they want to really attack that wide receiver group and when you look at how much 11 personnel the team runs 71 percent of the time th- there's space for a second tight end it's not like it would be a bad option just to have um particularly as a, a contingency for dawson knox but i don't know if they're going to want to prioritize that over making sure that that wide receiver depth stays intact so you know emmanuel sanders presumably leaves that leaves you with digs with gabriel davis with cole beasley um I th- you're still going to want to make sure that you have contingency beyond those guys because wide receiver cores now it's not necessarily about how good is your like how good is your one to three it's it's what is the depth like when you have to turn to it because one of those guys is going to get injured at some point and we saw that with Tampa Bay this past season we saw it with a bunch of teams actually but Tampa Bay is a good one where 
you know, one, two, three was incredible for the Bucks. It's as good as anything out there. But by the, the end of the season, it was like Mike Evans on his own, you know, getting this thing done because they didn't trust anybody that had to step in after Godwin goes down, after Antonio Brown gets booted off the team. And all of a sudden, you know, they, Scotty Miller, they didn't seem to have any trust in. Tyler Johnson, there wasn't a ton of trust in. They just didn't have the depth that they um, that they trusted to be able to step into a bigger role. So for Buffalo, I would much rather invest that spot in an Emmanuel Sanders replacement than a guy to compliment Dawson Knox. I'm not going to give them Will Fuller. I'm not, I'm not going to start Team 1 out of 32 and go to Will Fuller. So as really? what about... What about a guy like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, a designated deep threat? Gabriel Davis is already kind of that guy because he plays crazy fast on the field. But a Valdez-Scantling who could catch the 75-yard bombs from Josh Allen. Add him there, too. So um, there's not much to fix here with the Bills. This was an easy one to start. I think it's defensive line depth. I think a deep threat receiver would be great a, a very you know to, to complement those other pieces Valdez Scantling a Will Fuller another speed receiver in the draft they do need a starting left guard and a starting a starting corner opposite Tredavious White whether they're going to bring uh, Levi Wallace back or go to the draft for that but uh Bills are looking pretty good there's not much to fix there Sam they fixed though yeah the the Levi Wallace thing is interesting because we've made that point for years that they're going to be trying to replace Levi Wallace for basically the entirety of the guy's career. And he keeps coming back and showing that actually he's as good as anybody as their second starter. All of a sudden, Levi Wallace is actually scheduled to hit free agency. So now you have to make a conscious decision. Do you want to keep this guy or are you going to let him walk? And, you know, given that they're essentially trying to replace him year on year, there's a pretty good chance they do end up letting him walk. And with Tredavious White coming back from a serious injury, it just becomes an area of potential concern. Like you need to think about what that cornerback group is going to look like this year and make sure that it doesn't suffer this big drop-off. So to me, it's really just about plugging the small holes in the depth that are appearing just as the, as the course of year-on-year turnover. So Emmanuel Sanders, Ike Butker, um, Jerry Hughes, Harrison Phillips, Levi Wallace. These are all guys scheduled to hit free agency. I would think about bringing back two or three of those guys. You know, Harrison Phillips, Levi Wallace would be guys I would try and get back in the building if the deal is low enough. Um, and then you got to try and plug the hole. So Emmanuel Sanders is an interesting one. I don't hate the Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but, you know, there are guys lower down, even like, someone like Zay Jones is, is hitting free agency. And Zay Jones really stepped up back to Buffalo this year yeah someone like Zay Jones really stepped up for the Raiders this year when everybody else fell apart it's not like Zay Jones is amazing but he's shown that if like the rest of the depth chart falls around fall apart around him he can do a little bit more than people give him credit for uh the one other name I just wanted to throw out there uh Trent McDuffie is a cornerback out of Washington he's number two right now on the PFF draft board and you're going to hear me say this a lot I don't know where the NFL values him I don't know where Mel Kuyper values him I'm purposely in the foxhole, not paying attention to what other people are paying attention to. I know he's number two on our board, and I know I don't think I've seen someone move this smoothly at the cornerback position in a while. Great zone corner. So, I, so again, I don't know if he's there late first round, but there might not be a better fit for the Bills in the first round than a Trent McDuffie out of Washington. He might not fit the bill. He's under six foot. Not sure where his arm length is going to land. So he might not fit the bill for a lot of teams. So he could actually be there in the late first round if he's there. Man, I would love to see him paired with Tredavious White. So 
we have some options here. And I think we've hit on, on some good options that are going to get the Bills over the hump. Because we're not fixing them. We're getting them to the Super Bowl. And mm. I think uh, getting a few of those players back and then uh, dabbling in free agency, as we just discussed, will get the Bills to, uh, to, the big, to their championship. All right, we're going to go to another team in a minute, but the PFF NFL Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions help you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, to the Miami Dolphins. Where are we fixing the Dolphins, Sam, and why is it the offensive line? Mm, yeah, um, because they had one of the worst offensive lines we've ever seen. I think that would be the why. Um, they, this They're an interesting team because that offensive line was historically wretched, and it was historically wretched in or behind behind a quarterback or in front of a quarterback and within a system that actually didn't do a terrible job of protecting it in terms of RPOs, in terms of getting the ball out of – to his hands quickly it was worse than it looked is my point and it looked terrible so they're a team that actually just needs to spend this entire offseason hammering the ever-loving crap out of the offensive line in free agency in trades in the draft everything on the offensive line and hope that it's enough and with mike mcdaniel coming over that the whole thing is enough to make Tua look viable or not not just viable but like a ceiling high enough for them to compete. Are they so the as of right now per overthecap.com, Dolphins are number 1 in effective cap space. Uh, so as as far as going into free agency, they've got money to spend if they want to. We do always caution you're not just throwing money at all the top guys. It's not necessarily the way to build a team. But is this the team that should be throwing everything at Teron Armstead, number 2 on our free agent board, get him in to solidify the left tackle spot when you talk about uh, Mike McDaniel coming over from the Niners. He's just he just had Trent Williams at left tackle. You know Trent Williams coming off of one you know the best year we've ever seen from a tackle. Teron Armstead has that type of potential. The only question with Armstead has been health. He's been on and off the field these last couple of years, but with a with a new coach, it's not a new regime. But will a new coach come in and say Austin Jackson experiment first round pick two years ago? We've already kicked him into guard. We're not going to put him back at tackle. Liam Eikenberg is probably a guard who was forced to play tackle. Let's just get Teron Armstead. That's our starting point. We're going to throw the money at him at left tackle, and then we'll find ways to improve across the other spots as well. Um, it definitely could be. I mean, that's, that's a guy who has been, when he's healthy, one of the best tackles in the entire NFL. I would potentially look to maybe a shorter term solution at left tackle and just try and solidify the entire group. So the thing I love about this, this group and free agency is I think in the, in the mid tier, in the second tier, the, the lower down deals, there's a bunch of ready-made starters that might not be great, but are viable and won't destroy, you know, won't be the weak link in your offensive line. So Miami could easily come out of this free agency with like three of those guys, you know, a Connor Williams, a James Daniels, a Ben Jones, an Austin Corbett, Andrew Norwell, Alex Kappa, like Brian Allen. There's so many of these guys and Miami should realistically rebuild the entire interior based off 
free agency. Like maybe you, I think Robert Hunt can be a, vi- a viable, decent starter that they already have in tanks. He's got the position flexibility to play right tackle as well. Um, but I think you can rebuild like the majority of the offensive line in free agency. And then maybe the draft becomes everything about a tackle or a guy that's a, a sort of short-term option in free agency that you could bring in and wouldn't break the bank is Dwayne Brown, who looks like he's reached that point uh, of age and, and his career where he's declining. You know, he's he had his worst PFF grade, I think, since his rookie year or his sophomore year. Um, but he would still be like a decent caliber starting left tackle. If you bring in Dwayne Brown as like a stopgap, plow all the real resources into the rest of the position, uh, positions and then sort of see where you land in the draft, I think that would be a decent spot for Miami. Yeah, the Dolphins – so so you would go more stopgap left tackle rather than throw all the money at Armstead? As yeah, a general I just – Armstead I think is risky enough because of his injury history that I don't – I wouldn't necessarily want to throw like all the resources at him, yeah. um, particularly given how much else you need to get done. Uh, and, I, and they're not – you know, they don't have that sort of top 10 pick where the, the best left tackles in, in the rookie class are going to go. Uh, so I think you need to do something more moderate. Like, don't panic just because you need an entire offensive line and go, that means all the money needs to go at, at uh, the best left tackle available. Uh, the other name that could be exciting for the Dolphins, for, for Dolphins, for a guard, exciting for a guard, Lakin Tomlinson. He's number 26 on our board. Uh, again, he's got that 49ers connection with Mike McDaniel. Tomlinson, slow start to his career, but he has really found a home in that Shanahan system. He's continued to get better, and, and he's above you know Connor Williams and James Daniels, and I think that fit. Um, Daniels is really intriguing to me because he's still so young and an excellent zone blocker. I, I think James Daniels... Or Lake and Tomlinson would be an awesome fit here for the Dolphins. And this will be, again, we'll repeat ourselves sometimes, but for teams like the Dolphins, the Giants, the teams that really need to overhaul an offensive line, getting two, call them second-tier free agents and then sprinkling in draft picks and maybe a lower-tier free agent, I mean, you can do it, right? You can, you can do what the Chargers did. They, they should be the prototype of a – a high-priced center, a low-priced guard, a first-round tackle, and then boom! All of a sudden, offensive line goes from one of the worst to, you know, at least mid, uh, at least middle of the pack in the NFL. So that's got to be the starting point here for the Dolphins. Anything else on the offensive line? I mean, we can't. This can't just be like the only thing that's attacked here for the Dolphins. They've done a great job building from back to front on the defense, but their their defensive front played a lot better last year as well. Where else should they be looking to build around Tua and just rebuild this entire program? Well, they need to keep uh, attacking that wide receiver group or the receiving court generally, right? They've got Jalen Waddle from last year. The, the noises they're making that the entire offense is going to run through Jalen Waddle. He's going to become their uh, fulcrum in this group. They've been talking him up like, you know, like Devo Samuel, right? Just get the ball in the hands of your best playmakers. So Waddle will be that guy. Devontae Parker is still there. He brings something different, but that's basically it. That's the receiving core right now. Um, Mike Gusecki is going to hit free agency. Uh, he he brings this interesting decision. They have to um, bring him back, right? Well, so the interesting thing, though, is, is what we've been talking about, that the wide receiver versus tight end franchise tag. It's, it's like the, the tight end franchise tag number is such a bargain for NFL teams that 
you would think about franchise tagging a guy, a, qual- a player of the quality of Mike Gusecki as a tight end because it's such a cheap deal that like, hey, why not? But if you have to tag him as a wide receiver, it it's not worth it because Gusecki right. isn't that good of a player. Um, so Gusecki becomes this guy of the next Jimmy Graham, right? Do we Is he a wide receiver or is he a tight end? And if you look at the difference between when Jimmy Graham had that argument about he should be treated as a wide receiver, all of the things that they sort of threw back at him of like X man, a snap spent in line, uh, a bunch of snaps when you were in the slot, it was essentially in line anyway, because of how close you were to the tackle. None of that stuff really applies to Mike Gusecki. And if you look at how he was deployed, it is like 90 plus percent as a wide receiver, not split out wide, wide, but either wider or truly in the slot not in the sort of attached slot, you know, alignment as a tight end thing. So it, Gusecki has a genuine argument that he should be tagged as a wide receiver. And if the team tries to tag him as a tight end because it's it's so much less money, A, there will definitely be an appeal, and it'll be interesting to see sort of how that whole argument plays out. But, yeah, if they can bring him back generally, sure. If they can bring him back franchise tagged as a tight end, it's a bargain if you have to start treating him as a wide receiver, it gets like just exponentially more complicated. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, 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 we'll see what so we'll see what happens there. But I, I would love to see him back. You know, they they were the team that added Will Fuller last year, and we didn't get to see all of that. But the starting point of Devonte Parker, Jalen Waddle, and Mike Kosicki is a strong one. And then the theory of adding the speed receiver and Fuller was an awesome. I mean, that that was just. That was great, man. I mean, that's how you that's how you attack defenses, right? Go ahead, try to cover this. So I'd love to see another speed receiver in there, not necessarily Fuller, who didn't, you know, played what a handful of snaps. But um playmaker definitely something that they need to to take a look at. The other spot that probably needs to be addressed is edge rusher. So they they'd use their first round pick on Jalen, one of their first round picks on Jalen Phillips last year. Emmanuel Ogba coming off a career year, he hits free agency. Andrew Van Ginkle on the other side, he's played pretty well. He's been solid, but uh, probably another place that they could take a look at. They've got their they've got the pick at 29. And that could be there there are some late first round edges available. I mentioned David Ojabu from Michigan. He's 26 on the PFF draft board. You have Trayvon Walker out of Georgia, Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State. I think Edge might be another place uh, in this draft. I, that, that might be the sweet spot for Edge rushers is in that late first round for the Dolphins to take a look at. It is interesting that Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, they're both locked up. APYs of 15 and $16 million. Love that starting point at corner. Heard some rumblings that maybe – Maybe one or one of those guys could be traded. You know, if you're the Dolphins, do you just sit and say, we've got cornerbacks one and two locked up for a few years? Yeah, there's a lot of money there, but but that's fine. That's a that is a great foundation for our secondary, or would you tease potentially moving one of those guys? Or the yeah, or or um no egg benogany could easily be moved as well. Remember, this was a the guy they drafted True. to and the, the the defense generally is going to be an interesting thing to watch because Brian Flores was running this, you know, Patriots family tree defense, this which is at this point actually very unusual relative to how the rest of the NFL runs defenses in terms of scheme, in terms of how much man coverage they run, all these kinds of things. So Flowers had done a pretty good job of, of recreating a New England defense, New England South in Miami. 
now with the new regime, they're going to be running something quite radically different. And they have to like order of business. Number one for the defense is looking through that depth chart and saying, which of these players fit in with what we want to do going forward. And are we as enamored with the idea of dumping 30 plus million dollars a year into one position group at corner? Is it as important for us as it was for this man coverage, heavy system that Brian Flores and the dolphins are running beforehand. And if it's not, what do we do with that? And as you said, trading one of those high price guys is one option. Trading a guy like Igmanogany, who was drafted to be part of that system, A, he might not fit with the new system. B, even if he does, he hasn't shown anything in the last couple of years to suggest that it's worth keeping him around anyway. And if he has some residual trade value, they might want to dump him as well. So generally speaking, I think that's going to be pretty interesting to see are there players available on that defense that they're willing to move or move on from simply because the the regime, the new scheme is going to be so radically different from the old one. Okay, then the other big question that we haven't even touched on yet. We're running the Dolphins. What what are we doing with Tua? I mean, yeah, you keep him because I just He's this got is one not more like it was. He's got one more um, year, right? Like well, at least one more yeah. year to prove. Not that he like is he a low-end starter? Probably, yeah. But there's there's a bunch of those guys, right? So prove that you are the guy that we're going to build around. You keep him at this point because there's not going to be a there's not going to be a compelling option that's way better. Like this is not a situation where that we've talked about before, where you know, do you move on from a guy really quickly because all of a sudden you're presented with this potentially much better option, right? It's not a Josh Rosen to Kyla Murray kind of scenario. The Dolphins aren't sitting there with you know, the top pick in the draft and they have this tantalizing quarterback prospect available. And you're like, Oh, I don't know if we want to dump Tua for this guy, like because of the trade they made, their first pick is 29 in the draft. Um, So maybe they get an option at one of these quarterbacks in the first round that's slipping to the bottom because the the group of prospects isn't that good. Um, And in free agency, it's not a great group of quarterbacks. Like, sure, if somebody wanted to drop Aaron Rodgers in their lap and say, hey, do you want this guy? All right, that's a that's a discussion worth having. And they've been in they, – they're the team that keeps getting linked for the Deshaun Watson deal. I My, my, my take on the Deshaun Watson deal is the same as it was nine months ago whenever this stuff first started, which is as long as that dude has 22 civil lawsuits and 10 criminal accusations hanging over his head, there is not a trade that is happening in the NFL. No NFL team can possibly sign on with because the possible range of outcomes here is nothing. He gets proved innocent on all charges. They are perhaps more likely they settle all charges and he ends up walking away from this with literally zero uh, consequences other than like reputational damage all the way to like significant jail time. Right. The dude's facing 10 criminal charges and some pretty serious stuff. How can you possibly do a deal that spans that entire spectrum of outcomes, even if you were comfortable taking on that character and that, you know, a guy who had been proven innocent of all of these accusations? So to me, no trade is happening until all that works out. And there is no sign of that being worked out anytime soon. So my the Deshaun Watson, that's my take on that. That's my take that will for every single team that comes up for Deshaun Watson it's not happening until this all disappears. So it's going to be Tua. We give him another year. 
We put the offensive line pieces in front of him, which, by the way, just to recap, I think what we could do on the offensive line, I would go Lakin Tomlinson, free agency, Ben Jones, starting. So you have a starting center and a starting guard. Then the if you look at the PFF free agent board over at pff.com, in the 150s, you've got David Questenberry, Mike Remmers, Dennis Kelly. Get me a Dennis Kelly as an insurance, maybe a, maybe a, a, a low-end but starting caliber right tackle. And so I'm overhauling this entire thing. Robert Hunt stays there because he's a playmaker, Sam. He's a playmaker. You put the ball <laughs> in Robert Hunt's hands and good things happen. And then the other place you're opened up is left tackle maybe at the back end of the first round. So I already mentioned some of the edge defenders, but Bernard Ryman from Central Michigan, I don't know if he's going to be available there. Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. But there are potential tackles to be had maybe at the bottom end of the first round. But if you set that foundation in free agency with at least three players, two starters, a potential starter and a Dennis Kelly, the Dolphins should be looking to do this. The Giants should be looking to do this. The Bears should be thinking about this. The teams that need overhauls could do it in free agency, and I think that would be a great a great starting point for this Dolphins team. And then back to the Tua thing, give him a year with Mike McDaniel. Let's see. Let's see if Mike McDaniel can continue to elevate him. If he puts together – Jimmy Garoppolo was QB 13 in 2019, 77 PFF grade. Could Tua do that? Absolutely. And then – you know, not that, but but then you just build everything around him and see what you can what you can do there. So, deep threats, offensive line's got to be priority number one. I think defensive line depth for the Dolphins, and they probably need another guy at safety. But uh, overall, it's it's not a bad roster, right? They've 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 won a decent number of games these last couple of years, and they they have done a good job taking this team from. What a, a team that looked like they were tanking in 2019 to a team that's been on the cusp of the playoffs these last two years. Yeah, the problem they have is that uh, the defense, we don't really know how much work it's going to need until they figure out what they're planning on doing True. Um, relative to all these guys and the fit and the scheme. So we know that they have a massive hole in the offensive line and basically need to replace everybody there except Robert Hunt. We know that they have weaknesses at the receiving core where right now it's basically Jalen Waddle and Devontae Parker. And we know they don't really know if they have a quarterback yet because Tua has been dealing with all of these problems for the last couple of years. Um, and also, you know, people are going to say they need a running back. And look, I don't, I just, Miles Gaskin may not be great, but Miles Gaskin, remember all the things we've been talking about with this offensive line impact Miles Gaskin and the running game as well. They, they have had the worst offensive line in the NFL in front of them, blocking for them. So I think the running game looks immeasurably better the second you fix the offensive line, and maybe you can deal with running back down the line. But I think you, a complete overhaul, they just need to hammer the offensive line with everything they have this offseason and then figure out some depth players to bring in a wide receiver to complement the fact that everything's going to run through Jalen Waddle. If they can bring back Mike Gusecki <clears throat> on a relatively cheap deal, fantastic. If they need to go into the marketplace and bring – wide receiver help, then go for it. You know, and a guy like maybe Juju Smith-Schuster is a pretty decent number two option if you know you've got guys like Jalen or yeah, Jalen Waddle being the, the guy that the entire offense functions through. Um, I, I think there are players available in free agency that could come and complement that pretty well. If, if we're going to look at running backs, okay, Raheem Mostert, again, making that 49ers connection in the Shanahan system where – 
you have a lot of plays where it's just well blocked up. Give me the speed guy like a Mostert that can that could create big plays coming off injury. Um, or Rashad Penny could be an intriguing one if he's not going to break the bank. I, again, I'm not sure if the NFL is buying into his six or seven game run here. But Rashad Penny could be one of those guys that'd be a, a really nice fit because he started to look like the first rounder that he was drafted to be. You know, creating just just a big play threat, man. And I think I think that would fit well with what the uh, the Dolphins presumably want to do offensively. Yeah, or, you know, it's, it's the kind of position where you can grab a running back in the fifth round every year that plugs into that Shanahan style of offense and that off. But if they fix the offensive line, like that's the – Shanahan's offense is like a walking example of how you treat the running back position, at least in terms of results, not necessarily in terms of process because, in a weird – for some r- weird reason – they always do seem to actually prioritize throwing some resources at it. Right. But it's always the guy that doesn't have any resources attached to it that ends up having the success within that offense. So uh, that's why I think just grab a guy in the fifth round and, and roll. All right, Patriots are up next. But first, Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. It's too good to pass up. We're talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. Better than the slam dunk contest the other night. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Have to be 21 or older. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, the Patriots up next on our Fixing Every Team in 5 Minutes. It's a little more than 5 Minutes. But we're still fixing your team. With New England, they made the playoffs this year, uh, bounced back from a disappointing 2020, seemingly got the franchise back, you know, back on track. Last year at this time, we had no idea that they were going to spend as much money as they did in free agency. But they did. It was completely against previous New England Patriots nature. But I think they did it not because, not because Nick Casario had controlled the credit card and finally Bill Belichick was free. That might have been part of it. But they did this strategically because we always talk about if you have a first contract quarterback, you get to spend money, right? You get to do other stuff. And I think the Patriots realized they had that opportunity. So they spent a ton of money last year. Um, It's not really going to hamstring them this year. The biggest question I think is always going to start with now getting Mac Jones weapons. Is it wide receiver one as far as their biggest question mark their biggest uh you know need this offseason and will this be another year where things go a little bit different than what the way they have previously in new england we haven't seen bill belichick go take the top receiver on the free agent market and get him he's made shrewd trades through the years gotten a randy moss or given up a first round pick for a brandon cooks but is this the year they go get a chris godwin and alan robinson and uh and spend a ton of money on a top receiver yeah, um, it does become – they become that team that we've been talking about before, which is like what does this offense look like with a true number one wide receiver in it? You know, it becomes the new Baltimore. We were saying for a while that Baltimore runs a unique offense, um, and they – because of that, they, they have 
you know, Lamar Jackson being the thing that makes the whole thing work. And then they have this group of receivers that are useful contributors, but there's no like dominant X wide receiver, no Julio Jones and his prime in there. And when the offense started to stagnate, it's like, is it the lack of one of those guys to really terrify a defense? And what happens if you put that in there? Um, the Ravens still haven't really done that. They drafted Rashad Bateman. That's still a work in progress. He might become that guy, but he isn't right now. I think the Patriots are now looking at the same question, which is we dumped a ton of money into tight ends last year, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith. Um, they have this group of receivers now that are capable, but nobody is terrifying you. Like Nelson Aguilar, or Kendrick Bourne, these are guys that, and Jacoby Myers when he was there, that's not a bad group. Uh, it's certainly better than the last year of Tom Brady and the, the Cam Newton year where they just didn't have anything. But it's still not like, hey, we have this scary group of wide receivers and therefore we know <clears throat> that Mac Jones has everything to work for. I think you can still ask that question of if we plug an elite number one in here, what does that do to this whole system? Would you go that route with with Allen Robinson or Chris Godwin? Godwin, the different style players, you know, Allen Robinson probably more of a pure X, that guy that's going to win one-on-one on on the outside. Godwin can do that, but he's also one of those high-volume slot receivers, can be a vertical slot receiver, can also win on the outside, but more of that Z move type of receiver. Do Do you spend that type of money on that guy? And then again, I keep coming back to, okay, where does... Where does everybody else land on the depth chart? They got a really nice season out of Kendrick Bourne. Um, they could release Nelson Aguilar. I don't know if he'll be a part of the equation here going forward. Uh, you, Jacoby Myers as a uh, you know possession type receiver. So you have you just have a much better wide receiver depth chart if you get that top guy and it pushes everybody's role down a little bit. Then you do use those tight ends. You use Hunter Henry and John New Smith. And uh, you have so much more flexibility from a game plan standpoint. I'd be intrigued by by at least an Allen Robinson. And I don't know if the Patriots go that route. Could also go back to the draft well uh, after, you know, picking to kill Harry with the only time they've used a first-round pick on a receiver in the Belichick era. So I don't know if, they, if they're going to be gun-shy there. But there is a lot of depth in this draft as well. Which, would you go the draft route or, or think about that, that high-end free agent? I mean, I just don't think they're going to go wide receiver in the draft. It's like it was the first round, again, given how badly the Nikhil Harry thing worked out. Like, this is not a team that had a history of picking in the first round. And then they, for some reason, Harry was the guy that tempted them back in there. And that has gone about as badly as it could possibly have gone. So at that point, I think, like, we're not going to see Belichick draft the first round wide receiver again, like ever. He's just done with it. Um, the Allen Robinson thing is really interesting because I have a real feeling that Robinson is going to get absolutely screwed this offseason by just timing his one bad year badly. Like this is a guy who dating back to high school has been absolutely screwed by his quarterbacks at every single stage, including, you know, the the drink Christian Hackenberg. Uh, the freshman year that Christian Hackenberg's entire reputation was built on was basically Allen Robinson mossing people at the catch point every single time the ball showed up in his general vicinity. Um, He's made, you know, Blake Bortles look good. He's made uh, Chicago quarterbacks look good. He's been successful with everybody. And then this year, 
you know, the Justin Fields, Andy Dalton thing, whatever reason, Robinson just didn't didn't have a good year. Um, and now he's hitting free agency. He's starting to get on in age. You know, he's not over 30 or anything terrifying, but we've seen a lot of his career already. And I just wonder if he's going to get the kind of market that he deserves based off the play we've seen from him in the past. So all of a sudden, I think Allen Robinson could actually end up being like a value pickup for somebody. And maybe the Patriots are a team that doesn't want, like doesn't typically get into the top of the market wide receiver sweepstakes. But if Robinson suddenly starts to provide like a value looking contract, the Patriots actually could end up getting a steal and snagging him for a, you know, a deal that's relatively cheap given how good he is and actually get that number one wide receiver sort of unexpectedly. And, and that's usually how New England operates. They're middle of the pack as far as effective cap space goes. So I don't, I don't think we're going to see the same half a billion dollars thrown at free agents this offseason. So they might have to be more on the shrewd side the way they have been before. I th- again, I think they just played the market based off of where they are at the time they had Cam Newton essentially on a first contract type of deal, uh, that level, and then they have Mac Jones now, again, first contract type of deal. So they had more money to spend, but they spent a lot of it last offseason. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if they do if they do tease the top receiver, uh, you know, part of the receiver market. Uh, I, Michael Gallup is number 28 on our list. Does he end up – and again, I think Gallup is kind of like uh, Corey Davis last year at this point. You know, a number two, a good, a good number two, but is a good number two going to make twelve million a year? I mean, I I don't think that would be worth it for Michael Gallup. I I wouldn't want to be the team that pays that type of money for Michael Gallup, who I love as a player. But if he's valued less than that, is that sufficient? If you're New England, you have a Michael Gallup, you have a Kendrick Bourne, you have Jacoby Myers and the two tight ends, and now you're fine. Um, Or do you really need the true game changer? If they do go in the draft. These guys could drop down. Drake London from USC moved to number one on our board. You've got the two Ohio State kids, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Traylon Burks could be there at the end of the first round. I mean, if they do go, uh, Jameson Williams as a speed threat, I agree with you. I don't think they'll go that route, but I do think they'll have some options there. But there is some good day two depth there as, as well at receiver. But I think even though it's never been in New England's nature to like really emphasize the receiver position, it, it, you're now in the Mac Jones window. How are we going to maximize yeah. Mac Jones window? And I think you have to do it with playmakers. And I'm not saying they won't draft a wide receiver, period. I just don't think they're ever going to do it in the first round again. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden you start to look at these sort of second tier type guys in the draft and they become, I think, real options for New England, whether it's guys like Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama or George Pickens from Georgia. Like these are guys that have elite ability, um, but are a, a, they're a gap. They're, they're not where those top guys are. So potentially if those guys are available lower down the draft, um, then the Patriots get interested or get involved. I just don't think you're going to see them like, make the first round pick again on a, on a receiver. Um, so the other place, if you're just looking at their depth chart where the massive needs are, their entire linebacking core, uh, essentially hitting free agency, Jawan Bentley, Dante Hightower, Jamie Collins. So, they need linebackers here in New England. We'll see if uh, – I mean, I don't know if Hightower is mulling retirement at this point. He had a pretty pretty steep drop-off last year. So linebacker, definitely something that needs to be addressed. Uh, free safety, Devin McCourty. Uh, he's getting up there in age, hitting free agency. Um, and then the big one, their biggest free agent is J.C. Jackson at corner. And now yeah. we have a cornerback room 
that Belichick runs the Belichick type of scheme. They run man coverage. Corners are more important in New England than anywhere else. No more Stephon Gilmore. J.C. Jackson hits free agency. Does New England make him? You know, there's Stephon Gilmore. They were paying Stephon Gilmore about $14 million a year because they identified, hey, we need that quarterback one to be able to play this man coverage, to be able to play game plan specific type of matchups. J.C. Jackson's been an absolute ball hawk for them. If he walks and they don't re-sign him, I love talking wide receiver one and maximizing Mac Jones, but this secondary becomes the biggest priority in New England, and I think they really need to look at you know signing J.C. Jackson long term because I don't love the other options behind him. Yeah, I think they have to keep him around, whether it's whether it's a long term deal or the franchise tag. That's one of those situations where you look at it and you say, okay, if we let him walk, what is the, what what do we do then? To replace it, right? Because as you said, you let Stephon Gilmore go because J.C. Jackson was waiting in the wings to basically be Stephon Gilmore in this defense. You need that. You need a, a high-end cornerback, at least one of them, for this whole thing to function. So if you're going to do the same thing with J.C. Jackson, where is the J.C. Jackson replacement? And it's not on the depth chart right now because the alternatives are like Jalen Mills, Justin Bethel, Sean Wade, like Joan Williams. It's just, it's not there. So you're going to need to go find one which means either you're spending your first pick in the draft on a corner and hoping that that guy immediately is as good as J.C. Jackson, which, you know, if you're picking, what, 21 in the draft, that's probably not happening. I mean, just the way we see cornerbacks come into the NFL these days, it would be highly unlikely for you to hit on that. Or you turn to free free agency, which means two things. One, you're going to be paying the kind of money you would have been paying to J.C. Jackson anyway. To, to replace him. And two, like he's the best corner available in free agency anyway. So right. you're, you're taking a step down and probably paying more to get the same thing. So it, sometimes you can see an argument for not paying a player when there's an obvious alternate route that makes it either cheaper or easier to get that guy. But you look at the Patriots, you're like, if you don't have JC Jackson, it's either going to cost you more to get to replace him or um, you're going to get massively worse. So just pay the man, right? If you need to franchise tag him, franchise tag him, but they cannot let J.C. Jackson walk. Yeah, I would say out of the corners, so J.C. Jackson's number six on our cornerback board in free agency. Stephon Gilmore's second at 15, so I assume he's not going back to New England. Uh, the only guys that I'm looking at that truly have the size and press coverage ability that New England covets, you have Carlton Davis at 16, He's played mostly in a zone system, but he's a he's just a huge corner that can beat up receivers at the line of scrimmage who you know might be able to stand to play a little bit more man. And then uh, Tra- Traverius Ward is the guy, uh, 47 overall. He's, he's uh, from the Chiefs, and I think he's got the size and the press coverage ability to maybe fit New England. Everyone else beyond that, there's a whole bunch of slot corners, undersized zone type of corners, and then just older guys like Patrick Peterson or Joe Hayden on this in this free agent list. So if we're talking free agency, it's really to me for New England, J.C. Jackson, Carlton Davis, or Trevarius Ward. If you want a number one ish corner, and I think Ward is really a two, you know. Mm. So so those are the you know the fits. Um, you could go the draft route, but I think it's you know it's just risky. I think for New England to to let J.C. Jackson hit free agency. So um, I think that should be. 
the number one priority. Because even if J.C. Jackson's there, you mentioned Jalen Mills, Jonathan Jones headed into his last year of his contract. They still need more depth there in the secondary. And then on top of that, do they bring Devin McCourty back for a year or two to, to finish his career? Uh, you know, safety might be another place. They do have Kyle Duggar. They do have Adrian Phillips back. But they love to play three safeties and have that depth. So that's another place that they might need to look at either, you know, probably another Adrian Phillips type, right? Another mid-level free agent that they just develop into a, into a useful player. So um, secondary is definitely something New England needs to address. Yeah. Um, yeah, the defense is reaching a point where they they got some turnover now. And, and it's interesting because a linebacker in particular, the two guys they have hitting free agency, uh, like the two starters, Hightower and Bentley, those are – those are weird body types and weird styles of player for the the NFL in 2022, right? Dante Hightower and Juwan Bentley, they're both that big, thumping, run-stuffing type of linebacker. And do they do they pivot? Do they go in a different direction at linebacker now that those guys are potentially hitting free agency? Just generally what they're planning on doing at linebacker is going to be pretty interesting to watch. Yeah, do I, I... Hightower uh, is right there with like Anthony Barr on our free agent list. Is Anthony Barr a type? You know, one of those they could use him in that Hightower-ish type of role where he's a blitzer, uh, take advantage of that skill set because Barr was a good, pretty a pretty good edge rusher in college. But uh, they do have they do have a lot of question marks as far as linebacker, what they're going to do at corner, um, as far as the rest of the roster. We talked receiver a little bit. Offensive line loses Ted Karras. They have enough depth to be able to, you know, to handle that. Running back has great depth. Uh, defensive line, they've done a pretty good job. They've got edge rushers with Matthew Judon, with Josh Uche, Kyle Van Noy that they use as a hybrid player. I mean, to me, it's really corner, linebacker, and receiver that are going to be the huge question marks. And I think uh, – I don't want to use the word splash, but they need – an impact top corner, they need an impact top receiver, and they have to fill out that linebacker depth chart, however they're going to end up doing that. So as far as fixing them, I know we've talked to Allen Robinson. I'd be intrigued by a Chris Godwin. I think Chris Godwin could be that you know 110 catch type of player for this team if they can get him at the right price uh, you know, in free agency. Bring back J.C. Jackson, whether it's franchise tag or locking him up long term. Look to another corner. And I'm not spending a ton of time remaking this linebacker depth chart. I think that's that's a little, you know, maybe try to bring Bentley back on the cheap if he doesn't have a big market because he is so unique to your style. But uh, probably look to the draft to just to just round out your front seven a little bit. Yep, I think that's fair. Is that getting the Patriots over the hump? Uh, <clears throat> Win a playoff I think it, game? Maybe not, but it, but it puts them in contention again. Like the big, the thing that gets them over the hump is whether Mac Jones develops in year two and becomes, you know, where his ceiling is. Right? We know that Mac Jones was the best of the rookie quarterbacks. That Mac Jones looked really good for a rookie. Now the now the thing is to take away the for the rookie, you know, caveat. He needs to just be very good next year. Period. And the the thing that's still I think up in the air with Mac Jones is where is his ceiling. So give him some receivers to play with. Make sure he's got enough open guys at all times. Um, make sure the defense is able to be a really good unit. And then, you know, the overall team is contending. And then the thing that gets you over the hump is if Mac Jones actually becomes that guy. It's a big day today. The PFF QB annual is live. One of the favorite th- my favorite things that we put out, uh, not just because it was one of my ideas a few years ago, but because the execution on it 
is awesome. You will not find data like this anywhere else and all packed into a beautiful PDF. It's all over at pff.com. And we're going to give you 25% off your Edge or Elite subscription because that's that's where you get your QB annual. 25% off using the promo code NFLPOD. So right now you've got the QB annual live. You have the draft guide which is live. We've got the completely unlocked mock draft simulator when you sign up, all of our free agent rankings, all of the locked content. Get 25% off all of that great stuff using the promo code NFLPOD. I think it's worth it just for the QB annual today, but obviously you're getting more than that, 365 days of access to everything over at pff.com. So go sign up for Edge or Elite. Use that promo code NFLPOD. All right, let's go to the New York Jets. We're going to fix the Jets to round out the AFC East here. Uh, another team, they got to figure out what, how are we going to best build around Zach Wilson. I think they're a team where you might say something similar that you would with the Patriots. Hey, a, a true wide receiver one would be great. But yeah, they just spent a lot of money on Corey Davis last year. They do have the, ten, uh, the fourth and tenth pick. There's a lot of people giving them receivers at pick number 10 in the draft. I think that that could be a nice place for Drake London, the receiver out of USC. Um, when we look at the depth chart, we see a pretty weak group of corners that absolutely needs to address, but to be addressed. But as we've said other times on this show, Robert Sala truly believes in starting from that defensive line. So I think that's the place they will attack to try to find another pass rusher next to Carl Lawson. But uh, the Jets have a lot, a lot of holes here. Sam, where are you starting? when we're looking at this Jets roster. Yeah, they, they have a lot of holes, but I actually think they could be okay quickly. Um, I think you can patch this together reasonably fast. Uh, you're getting Carl Lawson back. So that's another one of those. It's like a free addition this year, right? You, you've suffered through last season with Carl Lawson missing the entire year. Your big free agency signing. Now you get the benefits of it, though. You get like a bonus player that comes back this year that you're not investing in uh, in this offseason. So Carl Lawson with John Franklin Myers all of a sudden I think is a pretty useful duo up front. You definitely still need some help in the interior. Quinnen Williams, I think, is, is, is a good player. Maybe isn't going to be special the way we thought he might be. Um, but either way, he needs a little bit of help around him. Presumably they're going to let uh, Fadakasi hit free agency. Um Given the style of player he is, his market might not be huge. I would certainly bring him back if the price is low enough because there's value in that kind of dominant run stuff where even if he doesn't offer much as a pass rusher, to me, you just need to hammer the entire secondary. Like, you played all these guys last year, these fifth rounders and, and below, these young guys, and maybe you got a couple of guys who look like they could be part of a depth chart going forward. Bryce Hall certainly showed some flashes, but you don't want them all like you don't want to do the same thing next year, right? You actually want to add some guys that can be legitimate number one, number two type players and sort of patch together the rest around them. So I, I think cornerback really should be their number one priority. And, you know, if we assume that JC Jackson is not going to hit the open market um, because of all the things we talked about with new England, they should absolutely be in the market for a guy like Carlton Davis um, and try and get, you know, a one really good high-end starter and nail that down for this defense, they should probably also be in the market for a cornerback in in the draft as well. And I, I wouldn't be at all against them double-dipping and grabbing a corner in free agency and the draft. And at number four, you know, maybe they're the team that grabs a Derek Stingley um, or a Kyle Hamilton, like at, at safety. Like maybe they 
we've been saying before, look, as long as pass play is going to be this valuable and this important in the NFL, they should be worth picking at number four. Like, stop just grabbing tackles and defensive linemen at the, in those top five positions when quarterbacks aren't there. That's the kind of spot where an elite corner or an elite safety prospect should be going. Oh, man, I'm with you on Stingley, man. I, I think he should be in play at four. Uh, but that's me. Again, I'm, I said this a couple shows ago. That's me without skin in the game, right? Like, without being in right. the Jets' war room, without – the risk factor there is risk um, because drafting corners is risky drafting corners whose play has dropped off and also who had injuries but the payoff of a Derek Stingley in this system man he is your he is your dude that's gonna he locks up the the solo receiver right I mean he that's he could be absolutely incredible I don't know if the Jets go that route um, completely with you as far as double dipping too um, Bryce Hall I think could be a nice you know, a decent number two cornerback option. Give him a, a, a number one that's ahead of him. Um, but the entire secondary, I think, does need to be addressed with the the safeties, as you mentioned, both hitting free agency as well. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, there, I mean, there's there's risk there too, bringing in a safety who um, has all the skills, can do great things, but you have to deploy him in a way that's going to maximize value. So I get if, if you're shying, if you're in the top five and you're shying away from a Derek Stingley or a Kyle Hamilton, I kind of get it because of the the risk factor because of the positional risk factor but i think that would be that would be intriguing for the jets um you know knowing that they're probably going to look at a Kayvon Thibodeau they're probably going to look at that defensive line opposite Carl Lawson but i think you're hitting a home run if you hit on a Stingley or hit on a Hamilton um either way it does need to be addressed i think Carlton Davis could be a good fit like you said as as far as free agent go uh, free agency goes Casey Hayward this is still that derivative of the Seattle scheme here with Salah. Do you get Casey Hayward for a year um, just as a as a bridge at corner because you do need so much you know other stuff? I think Hayward you can get a good a good year out if he's 25th on our draft board, our free agent board. So uh, there are some players to be had here. I think as far as corner goes, but you need to. I think they need to address it with multiple players. Yeah, and the thing is, there's risk everywhere. Like you, the safe pick for the Jets would be either the offensive line or, you know, one of the edge rusher prospects, but it's not like that is a guarantee either. Like, even if they work out, you're saying, you know, a cave on Thibodeau, the risk there is that you spent, you know, a top five draft pick on a guy who is a compliment to a Carl Lawson or a, a Franklin Myers, <clears throat> or maybe a guy that can replace them for cheaper down the road. And like, that's maybe a sidestep. It just doesn't do you much. Or you grab an offensive lineman who comes in and is maybe a marginal upgrade, a right tackle for George Fant, who actually has played pretty well uh, for the Jets. So again, like the it looks good. It's like safe. It it didn't cost you anything negative, but what's the payoff? Like the payoff for that is that you got marginally better or built a little bit of extra contingency at some positions that you were already kind of okay at. But the downside is that you you took this opportunity to take a big leap forward in some direction and just didn't do anything with it. Yeah. I think, look, I, I, I think take some chances there. Plus we always talk about winning the division, right? The Buffalo bills are lining up with Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley with Gabriel Davis. You got to match up 
with those guys. You got to match up with the Patriots that we just fixed and gave them Chris Godwin or Allen Robinson. You got to match up with those teams, the Dolphins and their pretty good group of playmakers. So I, honestly, I think the Jets should be looking back to front as far as this defense goes. And, the, you know, what if they got Carlton Davis and Derek Stingley? Boom. How do you feel about that? That's what the Dolphins did. Not that the Dolphins are perfect, but they've, they've created a much better pass defense by adding Byron Jones to, to Xavier Howard, right? That's where I think the Jets should be focused. Yeah, and look, they, they also have a, a nice position of being able to have two first-round draft picks or two top 10 first-round draft picks. So, you know, if you decide that a Kayvon Thibodeau is too good a value to pass up a number four and that he's the number one guy on your entire draft board, which is eminently possible, right? We're, we're not that long ago from him being the presumptive number one overall pick. And now we're starting to hear more Aiden Hutchinson, more Evan Neal. Um, all of a sudden, Thibodeau is getting pushed down a little bit. But it's entirely possible that a team like the Jets has Thibodeau as the number one player available in the draft, period, like over everybody. And if so, if he slips to number four and the Jets are like, well, we just got the best player in the draft at number four, party time, fine. Then your number 10 pick um, starts to become cornerback. And maybe Stingley at that point is off the board, but maybe that is where... You know, you can grab a guy like a, a Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati or like maybe at that point you still go corner or maybe, a, you know, maybe these if Stingley goes, maybe Kyle Hamilton lasts to number 10. Like, yeah, the, there's a potential that either of the players we talked about are still there at number 10 or you're in that next group of players that are still potentially well worth that spot, whether it's Sauce Gardner, whether it's Trent McDuffie, like there are going to be players available at that spot that can still do the job of double-dipping a corner. Uh, McDuffie might be my new favorite in the draft. I know I talked about him maybe falling to Buffalo. Um, that's almost certainly not going to happen. He is, uh, he is just an incredible, smooth athlete. Uh, the comparison in our draft guide was Jair Alexander. If I could get Jair Alexander, not that you know, we, can, we can make comparisons without equating, right, Sam? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but I, if I'm the Jets, McDuffie could be in play at 10. He's the best zone players at zone corner in this draft. They play a ton of zone. I think that could be a good fit as well. But the other place I'm going to be intrigued is receiver at 10. And we've seen a lot of people give the Jets Drake London, who is 10 on our draft board, uh, you know, big six foot five, agile monster as the number one potential receiver for Zach Wilson. What's the best fit at receiver here with Corey Davis? And Elijah Moore already there. Denzel Mims still there, but maybe potentially on his way out. I'm more inclined to think that the Ohio State receivers who just get open uh, a little bit more effectively, your Garrett Wilsons, your Chris Olaves, they might be a better fit for Zach Wilson, but also intrigued by Drake London. But you'd have to probably get London at 10. Yeah. Um, the other option, I, to me, you want something that is missing from the group as a collective. So you either want that guy who has that elite number one X wide receiver skill set, and that I think Drake London probably does fit that billing, or you want a guy that does something different to the others. And that would be a sort of designated speed threat to me. So a guy like Jameson Williams from Alabama who can take the top off a defense, a guy like Traylon Burks who is like a supercharged physical specimen, um, someone that sort of brings something different to the guys that they have that can still make Corey Davis and Elijah Moore better just by virtue of the fact that now he's taken some attention either away from them completely because he's a better player 
or in a different direction because he's doing something different to those guys. Those are the sort of styles of receiver that I would want. So, you know, a guy like a Garrett Wilson, maybe the best receiver in the draft, but I think stylistically that might not be the direction I would go if I was the Jets. Is London the guy then? Because he's different from everybody. Sure. I mean, London would be one option. The guys I named, you know, Jamison Williams, Traylon Burks would be guys I would be interested in that role. Jameson Williams, pure deep threat that could uh, definitely, definitely bring something different than Elijah Moore and Corey Davis. Different body, different type of speed, and all that stuff. So, anyway, receiver. Uh, this is what this is where the Jets are, right? They could get. They need. They probably do need another edge. Definitely need a corner. Definitely could use another receiver. They've got picks four and ten. I think those are the places you're going to go with two of those picks, right? Two of those premier type of positions. You mentioned a lot, too. People are mock drafting a lot of offensive linemen for them. They do have two starting positions, right guard and right tackle, that need to be replaced. You could have George Fant, who did take a step forward here when he played last year. Could have Fant at right tackle. I would try to bring back Morgan Moses, though. There's my first Morgan Moses mention. Bring him Mm -hmm. back at right tackle. And the offensive line is in much better shape than it was a couple years ago. If you think, if you listen to our podcast a couple years ago, we said, all right, spend some time on the line. A couple years from now, we'll get to the playmakers. And, they, and I think they're moving in the right direction there with, with the line being better, with Elijah Moore into the mix last year, Corey Davis into the mix, more work to do at receiver, tight end, another place that they need to look at as well. Um, if, if one of the, I mean, the, the Mike Kosicki's of the world are probably going to go back. Dalton Schultz, if he doesn't get franchised by the Cowboys, I think would be an interesting one because you do want an inline tight end in this system. And Schultz works the middle of the field, another weapon there. Uh, the way he's developed in the past game, I think I would keep an eye on on Schultz. And the, and the Jets have the money, right? They have the money to spend on a receiver, a tight end, a corner or two, um, edge depth. They have the money, and I think they can make not a splash, but at least add three or four really good players in free agency. And I think, you know, Schultz at tight end could be another one I would, I would, I would take a look at. Yeah. The tight end market in free agency is actually an interesting one. There's a bunch of guys that are potentially better, you know, in a, in a new environment, a change of scenery type of guy. There's, you know, the likes of Evan Ingram or Mo Ali Cox are, are massively <clears throat> have huge potential that could potentially, that could be better players in a new team than they were with their old team. You also have the likes of like reclamation project type of guys. Like I would be massively intrigued by seeing OJ Howard in a new team. Like just didn't work in Tampa Bay at any point and looked like it was difficult to find reasons why it wasn't sometimes like he looked like he should have been better and just wasn't. I wonder if uh, like OJ Howard in a new team looks like a different player, like just a ton of talent and never really worked with the Bucks. OJ Howard's the guy when I'm putting the free agency rankings together, he's kind of making me mad because uh, he's got two good seasons in small sample sizes out of five years. But to your point, if he's cheap, right? Like we ranked him 176th because there's just so much bad play on his tape. But if he's cheap, man, size and ability to work the seam and all that stuff and speed, I and mean, he's got it. So um, my other guy, Max Williams, man, I take Max Williams every single year could be the guy. He's coming off of his uh, knee injury, but Max Williams could be a guy I think the Jets could take a look at as well. I want to see Max Williams, who's one of the best run-blocking tight ends in the NFL. I want to see him in more of a true three-down role 
because I think he could have, like Dalton Schultz kind of broke out as this really nice complimentary weapon. Max Williams could have that type of season as well, maybe a little bit cheaper than, than Schultz as he hits free agency. So tight end, definitely another place, man. It all comes down to getting Zach Wilson a whole bunch of weapons here. Um, so we're going to go corner. We're going to go secondary first, edge second. Have we fixed the Jets? We had a lot of hypotheticals in here, but Carlton Davis in free agency, I think could be a good play. If they end up going Thibodeau, look, I'm not going to hate on it. Thibodeau at, at edge at four, and then at 10, come back with a receiver, and all of a sudden the Jets roster immediately looks so much better. Yeah, I mean, at 10, I think you your receiver or a corner again is in play at 10. Um, and then, you know, remember, you're going to have uh, you're going to have more picks to address the one that you didn't take lower down and still be able to attack those positions. So I would love to see them between free agency and their first couple of picks in the draft emerge with at least two cornerbacks wide receiver. Sure. Add some. But I think that's lesser priority um, or at least. You know, you can you can do that in a slightly different way. I, th- I just think you need to hammer that cornerback position multiple times. And if if you end up using one of those picks on a Thibodeau because he's too good a value to pass up, I'm okay with that. But you need to make sure the second one, I think, is spend on that. They also have picks 36 and 38. So, right. you know, four picks in the top th- in the in the top 38. They're going to come back, come away with some players. I mean, Jets fans are going to hopefully be pretty optimistic coming out of the draft just with that level of draft capital and the money that they have to spend in free agency. So huge. That's where, that's where I might hang on in terms of wide receiver and not use number 10 on one because yeah. like we're just seeing year on year the sheer volume of really good wide receivers coming into the NFL. And you know maybe you use one of those picks on a wide receiver. Maybe you package them both, jump back into the bottom of the first round somewhere and, and snag one of these guys that's falling. I just I don't think you need to spend number 10 to get a high-end wide receiver. All right, we're going to move to the AFC South now. And we're going to start, by the way, Jets fixed. The entire AFC East fixed, declared it. Uh, the Tennessee Titans. We're going to start with the Titans here, Sam, for fear <laughs> of forgetting them. You know, if we forget one of the eight teams we're supposed to break down, then, you know, that's on us. One of 32, you know, it happens. But let's start with the Titans. How are we going to fix the Tennessee Titans? They are uh, coming off a divisional round loss as the number one seed to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the, the buzz in Nashville. Is Ryan Tannehill good enough to win us a Super Bowl? They finally hit that point where they went from like overachieving into the AFC Championship to now asking, is Ryan Tannehill the guy? And uh, yeah, look, see, the people, the people made sure to remind us to not forget mm. the Titans. We're talking about them right now. Harold Landry hits free agency, so pure edge rushers, probably something to take a look at here for the Titans. Where are you starting in this Titans fix here, Sam? Yeah, I, the edge rusher thing, I think it's probably the biggest issue for them. Um, you, you spent the money on Bud Dupree. It was ill-advised at the time. It hasn't worked out well so far. If Harold Landry is on his way out the door, you just don't have edge rushers you don't have guys that are going to generate consistent pressure year on year um you should have because you've invested in it but you don't because you made you you missed um jeffrey simmons is presumably on his way to a monster contract but he's the one guy right now that's bringing consistent pressure up front so i think you need to find pass rushers from somewhere uh whether that's free agency or the draft that to me would be number one like the immediate starting point 
Yeah, so we mentioned a lot of the late first-round edge rushers that could be in play there for the Titans, the David Ajabus and Jermaine Johnsons of the world. Uh, what I'm intrigued with, so they also have two spots open on the offensive line. So Ben Jones at center, the guy that I keep, I keep sending him to a lot of teams too. Try to bring him back as a starting point. What I'm wondering if you're the Titans, that we have multiple years now of seeing them as a much better run-blocking unit than pass-blocking unit. And as much as they want to run this offense through Derrick Henry, do the Titans, if I'm in the Titans front office, I'm asking the question, if we're going to win a Super Bowl, what's going to happen? And as always, I'm going to answer, the pass game's got to be better, right? The pass game has to be better. So do you make a move on the offensive line to improve in pass protection? Because, again, it's been a lopsided unit. They rank as one of the best run-blocking units the last couple of years, one of the worst pass-blocking units the last couple of years. It's just the way they've been built. It's just how the entire offensive line's constructed. Do we put more emphasis on the pass game and take a little pressure off Derrick Henry, as awesome as he is? And, and, and even though it's a little risky, too, to have games where you put the ball in Ryan Tannehill's hands, but we need to have that third and fourth option here. We need to have a tight end that he can trust. We need to have a third receiver to go with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. And we also need to have a better pass-protecting pass offensive line so Tannehill's not getting sacked a ton because he does um, tend to hold the ball a touch longer. Very Joe Burrowish. Are we making that move? Can we make that move? Can I, am I going to get laughed out of the building when the Titans hire me and say, we got to build around Ryan Tannehill, not Derrick Henry? I'm just not sure what building around him looks like. Like, Ryan Tannehill has been really good in this offense when this offense is functioning. Um, and, and that's not just a Derrick Henry thing. It's uh, when the receivers are healthy, when the offensive line is playing well, when the play-action game is strong. Like, that's when Ryan Tannehill posts a PFF grade as good as anybody. His efficiency is insane. His accuracy is good. He's capable of making big throws. Um, doesn't put the ball in harm's way that much. I There's not much upgrading from that, in my opinion. Like, that's been shown to be a really successful strategy and something that functions. I think you're you're way better off trying to recreate that than you are trying to pivot in a completely different direction and hoping Tannehill is as good in a different system and a different set of circumstances because that's kind of what you need in today's NFL. I just think make sure that offensive line doesn't fall apart. Uh, there's a couple of guys leaving potentially, whether you bring them back, whether you uh, replace them, just make sure the line doesn't immediately collapse around them. Um, Derrick Henry showed last year when he went down that he's not necessarily the entirety of the way this thing was built. Like Dante Foreman came in, um, played well. Uh, the, the, the rushing production, at least, wasn't dramatically different. Now, you can argue that the impact on the passing game was significantly different, but the point is Derrick Henry might not be the be-all and end-all of this offense the way it looked like he was. They definitely need to make sure there's more receiving options. Uh, the A.J. Brown, Julio Jones thing, Julio didn't stay healthy. A.J. Brown didn't stay healthy. Um, Nick Westbrook, Aquino was the sort of one player that was left over that actually made some plays and looked like he could be part of the future, but he's scheduled to hit free agency. So he might not be there either. You definitely just need to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And you, you maintain some options, but I, I don't think you pivot in a completely different direction on offense. So you're still building around this run game and play action. I think they need, 
receiver insurance for Julio, right? I mean, the other thing, I mean, strategically, I'm also going into the building saying A.J. Brown's getting 15 targets a game. That's the bottom line. Get the ball into A.J. Brown's uh, hands, no matter what. Uh, Might need some Julio Jones insurance, plus that receiver, that third receiver. Um, Tight end's the other interesting one, too. A lot of the names I just mentioned, the Max Williams of the world, uh, because you do have to run block in this system at tight end. But I think Max Williams could be a good fit. I don't know if, like, a Zach Ertz would fit here. Um, at his age at this point. But I, I think uh, Max Williams would be intriguing there. I'm with you on bringing back. I would bring back Ben Jones, probably David Questenberry, but still look. He's coming off a career year at right tackle, but still look for another right tackle either in the draft or um, some of the other op- – Morgan Moses, perhaps, at right tackle because, you know, that's what you got to do. Um, so you're just rolling with the same offense and just say, hey, we hope we hope we catch a run here offensively much i mean i'm yeah. you're, you're rebuilding it right you're you're sort of you're attacking the areas that are getting weaker or potentially eroding but it worked like it's not something that i think that you need to dump the whole system and and re re-go like that and also there's some players potentially you know on the depth chart that that could feature like dylan radons was a high draft pick last year it didn't really uh, feature this season maybe he comes in and, and becomes part of that rebuilt offensive line um but the, one of the one of my favorite player pick matchups in the entire draft so far is the idea of trailing burks to tennessee where they pick where is it 26 something yeah. like that in the mid-20s um that like trailing burks is tailor-made for this offense that guy is an aj brown julio jones clone in terms of just freakish physical ability um, maybe has some work to do in terms of route running and all that kind of stuff, but get the guy, the ball in his hands and just watch special things happen. The Titans need some insurance in that area. Anyway, it's the kind of style of receiver that apparently they have a, a, a hankling for um, grab that. I, I love that fit. He just fits the dudes, man. Six, three, two I like that. Get trail on Burks in there. So let's do that in the first round for the Titans. So there's your Julio insurance plus, here, go cover these three dudes when we're out there. Um, I would look at Max Williams at tight end in free agency. And now the edge rusher market. Are they going to just bring – so Harold Landry, intriguing. He did have a ton of sacks. He does bring a lot to this defense. He drops into coverage a lot. He just – he's an Iron Man, plays over 1,000 snaps, um, trying to replace that. But I do think they just need somebody that can win one-on-ones. I mean, they're really good at scheming it up up front as we saw like the Joe Burrow game that wasn't just domination up front that was scheming up free rushers and stunts and twists and blitzes and the Titans do a really good job of that so maybe they don't need a a guy that truly wins one-on-ones as much as some other teams but you know Landry and Dupree are below the league average when it comes to um, just pass rush grade in general so it is a place that they could upgrade I wonder if like a Randy Gregory type in free agency yeah. too, a guy that could just get after the quarterback on third down one-on-one that doesn't need to be schemed up could be a, a good useful player there. Gregory's a player that I really like in terms of fit for Tennessee. I think that would be a, a very good acquisition if they could get it done. I'm not sure what Harold Landry's market is in the NFL. He He's a weird player to me because, you know, typically the NFL pays for sacks and we saw that with the Bud Dupree deal. Um, and that's, usually where they get themselves into trouble and players that have a ton of pressure are usually better bets. Now, Harold Landry actually does have a ton of pressure, um, but 
it's not because he wins decisively and quickly and a lot of the time it's because he plays almost all the time and we talked heard brad spielberger talk about that and there is value to that like teams there are teams uh, that will covet that as a thing like we don't need to take this guy off the field ever that is a positive to have um and he does get pressure it's just not necessarily decisive early uh high grading pressure so I don't know where he lands in terms of the kind of contract that he would get in the NFL. Obviously, if it's massive money, the Titans should steer clear because the grade says he's just not worth it. But if the market isn't there because of those things, like we have him ranked 33rd on our uh, free agent list, which is below guys like Hassan Reddick and Melvin Ingram, who was uh, just a, a you know, contributing part of that Chiefs team and the Steelers team this season, it's below Randy Gregory by some considerable distance. Like maybe if his market isn't as strong as it it could be, you know, they have a chance of bringing him back. And if they can do that, sure. But it becomes interesting because if you can swap Howard Landry for Randy Gregory, I think you massively upgraded at edge rusher. Yeah, they just might. Uh, Gregory might not be that three down option, at least. I, I just don't know if they would trust Gregory doing the same stuff that Landry did, as far as dropping into coverage and, and everything. So it might be, it might take two. Like it, weird as it sounds, Landry has a 63 grade for us last year, but it might take two players to replace what they trusted him to do early downs and and on third down. But I think edge is definitely something they're going to need to attack. More defensive line depth as well, um, and then in the secondary, the, on paper it's really really good. But Jack Rabbit Jenkins goes into his last season, Jack Rabbit, and then uh, Caleb Farley. Always some risk there with the with the injury last year. So maybe corner depth, something else they should take a look at. Low end free agents, uh, second tier free agent types, uh, just to add depth there, right? I mean that because you just they dealt with it really well this year, but you don't always want to have to have to do that, right? So where other Caleb you know, Farley thing is so tough because emotionally you just want that guy to stay healthy and to pan out you know you invested the pick in him the guy has just insane physical tools like his his upside or his skill set is so tantalizing in terms of what he could be that you are going to be so emotionally invested in him working out um that but you're, it's like head versus heart. So your heart is going to be completely invested in him being the solution and being uh, a really important part of your defense. But your head at this point, you're like, he was a risk coming out. He immediately got hurt significantly. And now you're like, this guy's got an extensive injury history. Can you even, can you trust him to be part of the future at all? Or should you immediately build in a contingency for the next time he gets hurt? And that the head part of you should probably be looking at that and saying, yeah, it would be great if Caleb Farley worked out, but we should, at this point, the smart thing is to probably make sure that if he does get hurt again, we have a backup plan. Yeah. So I think just adding depth there in general, maybe that's a place where Levi Wallace fits in. You know, again, I don't, again, I don't know where the, the market is for Levi Wallace, a Sidney Jones, but the guys that are in the 130s, 140s for us on our free agent board might be some really good depth for the Titans. I know you gave them Traylon Burks. I would be intrigued by Jamison Williams, the Bama receiver, coming off the ACL just because of that pure speed threat. Pure speed threat next to A.J. Brown and Julio, at least for another year or two. So we'll see. Um, but I think we fixed the Titans, Sam. We Sweet. fixed the Titans. We added Traylon Burks, added some corner depth. 
added Randy Gregory, and they're back on track. They're going to get over the hump in the AFC. All right, who's next in the AFC South? We're going to go reverse alphabetical. So Jacksonville Jaguars. We're going to fix this Jaguars team here, Sam. First order of business here in Jacksonville. There is, we need receivers, we need offensive line, and we need defense. That's it. That's it? That's all we need. Okay. Uh, First off, Trevor's still the guy, right? We're not trading him? Number one (laughs) overall? I mean, he's still the guy, but you're a lot more worried about it than you were 12 months ago. Yeah, I mean, I think it's different. Him and Zach Wilson were equally unimpressive, right? But I'd be more worried about Zach Wilson than Trevor Lawrence knowing how toxic this Jaguar situation was, knowing what we know coming out of there. Um, It doesn't guarantee it's going to be less toxic going forward, but Doug Peterson comes in. He's going to take over the play calling. I think Peterson's a good offensive mind, former QB that's going to be right there developing Trevor Lawrence. I think they'll be okay. Um, I want <clears throat> I want a big-bodied playmaker for him at receiver. Uh, I've always thought that Allen Robinson types would be a great for Trevor Lawrence. We'll see if Robinson would want to go back to a rebuild, go back to Jacksonville. Um, but either way, a big-bodied receiver. Um, and then they have three starting spots of open on the offensive line. Left tackle, Cam Robinson. Left guard, Andrew Norwell. Right guard, A.J. Cann. All guys played you know, average football or so at best, and they're, but they're all hitting free agency in general. Are you expecting Walker Little to step into that left tackle spot and be the guy going forward? He could be. I don't think he's going to keep me from looking at other tackles, but I think given the other holes on the roster, I think you might have to. Little, a second-round pick last year, right? Was it second? Um, he played okay in limited time, but you probably have to trust him at this point just because you have so many other places to address along this roster. But again, they're another one of those teams where they're in a good spot in uh, this free agency because of how many of those just decent, solid, capable starting guards there are available. So Jacksonville is another one of those teams that should just go in there, double dip on a couple of starting guards in free agency, hope that both of them pan out, work on the basis that if one of them pans out, we still upgraded one spot massively. But you know, Alex Kappa, Brian Allen, Austin Corbett, James Daniels. These are all guys that could come in immediately be capable. Start Mark Lewinsky. Like, they, they should be grabbing two of those guys, plugging them in, and just forgetting about those spots for a while. Ted Karras could be a really interesting option there. He's 133 on our free agent board, center and guard. I, I like a lot of those names you said. Like, just fill out – I don't want to say fill out the roster, but fill out the offensive line with starters. Um and in both guard spots, as you mentioned, do need help. Tackle is tackle's a big issue, though, right? Cam Robinson has played below average football every year of his career. And last year was the best year of his career. He's still worth a negative war. Jawan Taylor, he's hit and head into the last year of his contract. He's been just rough at right tackle. So you mentioned Walker Little might be able to fill one of those spots. But they do need to address tackle, which is why in the draft a lot of people are saying, hey, just take Evan Neal. Take Charles Cross, whichever tackle you like at best at the top of that draft, take the tackle. For me, I think that number one pick, though, I'm leaning Aiden Hutchinson. I, I feel, and it's, I, I, I think I'm overusing the word safe, but I would say that Hutchinson's projections are better, right? I feel better about Hutchinson, what he's going to do at the NFL level, than what I think Neil and Cross are going to do. Neil could be spectacular. He's working with, uh, He's working with Duke. He can do a jump split. He's got a lot of good stuff going for him. Um, 
but I've, I, I just, I'm, I'm leaning toward Aiden Hutchinson as long as he doesn't, you know, screw up the workouts and fi- we find out that secretly he's not a great athlete, even though he's a Feldman freak and does look like a really good athlete on the field. So I would lean Hutchinson, but then that brings up the question at left tackle, are we trusting Walker Little or do we go to free agency there as well? I mean, they might, they could be a team that throws the money at Deron Armstead. But uh, again, you mentioned the risk with the injuries and all that stuff too. That might not be the route for this rebuilding Jaguars team right now. Yeah, it feels to me that because their entire future has to be, hey, let's make sure Trevor Lawrence is good. Yeah. They will default to getting in protection at the top of the draft, right? Because so in the, this is how the draft works now that if there isn't a quarterback that goes top, we look at edge rusher and we look at tackle. For some reason, that's the two positions that the NFL has decided they go number one in years where the quarterback isn't going one. So the Jags are now looking at, is it Aiden Hutchinson? Is it Kayvon Thibodeau? Or is it one of these tackles? Whether it's Evan Neal, Charles Cross, uh, Icky. Like those are the guys that are basically on the table for that debate. And if you're the Jags, and Trevor Lawrence showed relatively little last year. The situation was a mess. Like their entire approach has to be, let's make sure Trevor Lawrence does not suck year two. Um, I think at that point, they will just spend number one on whichever their favorite tackle is, whether it's Evan Neal or one of those other two guys. To me, that's where they're going to go. And whether he plays left tackle or right tackle doesn't really matter in terms of they need both. So... I think that's where they end up defaulting, even though when you look at sort of all the PFF data and the projections and, you know, how good they've been relative to everything else, Hutchinson is probably the best pick they could make. You know, I mean, listen, let me talk myself into the Neil pick right here, right? Let's say you go the route that you said. At guard, they get James Daniels to start and uh, give me one other, give me another starting guard in free agency. Ted Karras. Kappa. Who? Alex Kappa. Alex Kappa. So let's say we invest at guard. James Daniels, Alex Kappa, Brandon Linder's still there at center. You go Evan Neal at left tackle. All of a sudden, that's looking decent. Now right tackle, I'll move Walker Little down over there maybe to compete with Juwan Taylor, who's in the last year of his contract and, again, has been well below average. That's not too bad. I think we've crept back toward average on that offensive line with a couple free agent investments and then Evan Neal solidifying. That's the thing. Like When you draft a tackle, it's, it's not about him in isolation. It's about him as a part of all these other pieces and you know, getting that hopefully trustworthy starter at number one. I, I could talk myself into that. And now we've got a foundation for, for Trevor Lawrence up front. And then on the turn, uh, the Jags top of the second round here, then you could start looking at receivers, maybe corners, and and there might be some value there. So I mean, look, I could I could talk myself into the into the Neil pick, but it depends on you know having a few pieces added in free agencies because because you get that that line back on track pretty quickly. Yeah, um, we got I grab we grab two right guards. Maybe Connor Williams Sorry. is the guy instead of uh, Alex Kappa. Give him a left guard. Daniels well. can play anywhere though. He he's played yeah. any, any guard. You, know, you might as well go with guys that are either side True. rather than making them reshuffle the point is i don't mind spending some money on guards you know in this in this market with the money that you have because there is a draftable commodity a tackle to kind of tie it all together and put him on a on a rookie deal um 
I'll tell you one of the receivers I love for Trevor Lawrence in the draft is George Pickens from from Georgia. You know, the more you, I watch Pickens, I I made a Brandon Lloyd comp for him, which you might not completely agree with, but um, Mike Renner does, so that's all that matters. I, again, for Lawrence, I want somebody that's going to bring out some aggressiveness in Trevor Lawrence. I think George Pickens just goes up, makes spectacular catches, goes and gets the ball. He could be available as, on day two, and I think that would be a nice a nice matchup with uh, a nice pairing with uh, with Trevor Lawrence. Are we going to get like the one good year from Brandon Lloyd, or are we going to get the rest of Brandon Lloyd's career? We're going to get uh, yeah, it could be that same level of inconsistency. Not going to lie. <laughs> Pickens has had some of that too, plus injuries. That doesn't uh, feel like a good thing. Well, I mean, just the way he contorts his body and just goes up and gets it, and the potential to be a high-end Brandon Lloyd type of player. How about that? The good Brandon Lloyd. Okay. Uh, but either way, the receiving group right now, DJ Chark hits free agency, Marvin Jones getting old, LaVisca Chenault, I think at this point, certainly a complimentary piece, not, not a number one. This group absolutely needs to be addressed. Where's the best place for the Jacks to do it? I mean, they, with the money, do they go after one of those top free agents? I would think so. Yeah, maybe, but it's like which which one of those guys makes sense? Like, it's a weird group of receivers available in free agency. Like Gallup would be an intriguing one for them because Gallup, yeah. he's a sort of certainty, uh, just a certain commodity of he's good, right? We know Michael Gallup is good. Not only is he good, but he he can he's a sort of number two receiver that can win against number one corners, which is not that common a, uh, a, 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 like a thing. You don't find those players that often. Um, Gallup could come in there, be your number two, be able to line up outside against elite number one corners and still win when you need it. You still have LaVisca Chenault that becomes your, um, your sort of slot and hybrid type of option they're still getting Travis Etienne back that they never had for the entirety of the the Urban Meyer regime. Like Urban Meyer drafts this guy, talks him up as this hybrid super weapon, and then never sees him play. Um, so they're getting that guy back, which will be an interesting thing. And then they just need at that point, you just need that one sort of missing piece of this of the the receiving core. You, you need the you know the elite number one, or you need the superstar that can make spectacular catches or win deep. And that could be your George Pickens, or it could be a, you know, one of these guys at the top of the second round. So you're going to go Gallup? What if we go Gallup in free agency? What if we give them Marquez Valdez-Scantling, too? Big... He's going to be your Will Fuller this year, Marquez yeah. Valdez-Scantling. Yeah, yeah. Anybody who's fast yeah, can be my guy. John Ross still available? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, look, John Ross, I'm, I'm signing him every year. He won the game for the Giants against the Saints. He won a game. Right? Mm -hmm. That's what John Ross does. Loses games too, but he wins games. So you go Gallup, high-volume receiver, Valdez scaling as your deep threat, then George Pickens in the draft, and boom. There we go. And the offensive line that we've already overhauled, there's the Jags offensively, right back on track. Fixed offensively. Now to the now defense. The defense. <laughs> I I was disappointed in their defensive line. If you look at the defensive line grades from Roy Robertson Harris to Malcolm Brown, Devon Ham- uh, Devon Hamilton, they they added kind of these like mid tier free agents, mid round players, and just did not get 
great play up front from them. I, I thought process-wise last year it wasn't bad. The results were horrible. I mean, they, they just need everybody up front. And uh, the other Josh Allen, yeah, he had a career year. He's hitting the last year of his contract. I don't, I don't know if he's worth a, a long-term deal at this point. He's been a little disappointing, I think, for the seventh overall pick in the draft. Caleb on chase on as an edge a couple years ago, we thought he was a risky pick because he wasn't all that productive at LSU, but had great traits. He's coming off a of 47 grade, never really been an effective pass rusher. The entire front seven, to be honest, I mean, but, but across the board, especially on the defensive line and edge really needs to be addressed. I mean, I don't think you need to limit it to the front seven, like the entire defense top to bottom. They're the only, the only proven commodity players they have are guys that didn't play well last year. So there's not a single untouchable mo- uh, member of this defense or a guy that you can look at and 100% guarantee will be a key contributor down the line. You would assume Miles Jack would, but he just had a, a, had a disastrous year. Shaquille Griffin is the the sort of big free agent spend from a year ago. Didn't have a particularly good year either. Um, Tyson Campbell, a high draft pick, was okay, I guess, but year two was the important year for him. It's just there's – there's very little here in terms of any kind of um, level of confidence that they will be good going forward. You need to just, I mean, God, just hit it everywhere. Just everything. So any now this is players we are in. We've already given Evan Neal at number one overall, but this is where if you have Hutchinson, okay, now we've got a good starting point for rebuilding this defense. You pair him with Josh Allen, at least in, in the first year, and you've got some depth there. At edge, put takes a little pressure off Chase on, who could take a step forward in year three. Um, big body, the the big body defensive lineman. I think you try to find in the middle rounds, but uh, you know, again, secondary with uh, Shaquille Griffin's the only guy you could really depend on. You do need a Tyson Campbell could take he. That's a whole bunch of could take a step forward, mm-hmm. uh, but I think cor- you know cornerback two plus the the guy that's going to take over for Shaquille Griffin in the future. Uh, is it you know is is needed there? Maybe Carlton Davis is a guy you'd spend money for there as well. Uh, but again, there's few young corners to really build around when it comes to free agency, and that's why we brought up, hey, should Derek Stingley be on the table at number one? Because if you're talking a long-term number one corner, who is it? J.C. Jackson and Carlton Davis, as far as free agency goes. I mean, that's it. And and maybe the draft is the place to do it. Yeah, I mean, every every number one pick is going to be risky because it's a tackle, it's an edge, it's a non-quarterback, but maybe Stingley should be in play at number one because the Jags could use that as well. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you get teams where they draft at the top of the draft and you're like, you know what, this team isn't actually as bad as that position. They only need a couple of things to be fixed. Okay, they're typically important things like quarterback, but once you fix those things, this team could be pretty good pretty quickly. The Jags are a team that belongs with the number one overall pick. Like they are a bad roster um, in a lot of places, and it's going to take more than one offseason to fix the Jags. Uh, I think a corner like Darius Williams from the Rams could be a nice option because you know, again, I think it, let's let's say you invest your resources in edge or tackle at number one overall, and if there's not a true number one corner, should they be in the J.C. Jackson sweepstakes? Probably. Um, I also don't know if you want to spend that kind of money if you're the Jags right. at, at just one cornerback spot. You might want to stitch it together with Darius Williams. I think you want to find a player like a Darius Williams 
who's not a true number one corner, but is a long-term play, right? Can be there for multiple years. Um, not just, uh, you know, Tra- Traverius Ward, who I mentioned earlier with the Patriots. Maybe those types, younger type of corners that can be there for the next few years. I think you uh, – we'll get to the Texans in a minute. The Texans use their all, – all the players they signed last year were guys who were on one- or two-year contracts or just weren't going to be there as part of the rebuild. Find – the middle tier of free agent that is young enough to be there as part of the rebuild here for the Jaguars. Yeah. I, I also think there's a lot, like, they're a team that could take some shots at some young guys that could potentially be better with a bigger role because God knows they have the snaps to give them if they are showing well. So a guy like, um, Akaronkwo, you know, with the Rams Ooh, love that Akaronkwo was a really productive situational pass rusher, but the Rams have a bunch of high end players and it's difficult to get that guy snaps on a Super Bowl winning roster, particularly when guys like Von Miller arrive midseason via trade. The Jags don't have anybody keeping him off the field, right? So if Akarunquo comes in and the only people keeping him on the bench are, you know, the the busted draft picks essentially that they've had uh, in terms of guys like Caleb on chase on, there's literally no reason in the world that he can't start getting a massively scaled up workload and, you know, the, the better players are playing more because of it. So I think the Jags should be looking at free agency at basically every position and saying, you know, who are some young players that have shown well in you know, relatively limited snaps that within this defense could be better? On the defense, I love that. Give me Okoronkwo in, uh, in Jacksonville. So we fix the offense at Okoronkwo, at, uh, at Edge, maybe a guy like Tim Settle, Interior defensive lineman, Maurice Hurst. I would always take the shot on Hurst. But these guys that still have multiple years ahead of them that could pay off here for the Jaguars. So that's how we're going to put it all together on the defensive side of the ball. I wouldn't, you know, Darius Williams at corner. Boom. Look at us. Fix the Jags. Are they fixed? Ish. Ish. As best best we can. All right. Only two more teams, Sam. Gosh. We're going two and a half hours on this thing, huh? It's going to be five minutes. Indianapolis Colts. What are we doing? What are we doing at quarterback? Yeah, I mean, that's a big thing, right? Let's the, have a meeting. The Colts We're, are already making Put our heads noises. together. What do you do with Carson Wentz? It, look, if I can find a team willing to trade for Carson Wentz, I am all for getting rid of him. I just don't think that team is going to materialize, at which point your options are, do we keep him or do we cut him? And that becomes, I think, significantly more painful. So I think you kind of made your bet a year ago with the trade, and now you got to lie in it and try and make the best of the bad situation. The Colts are always near the top as far as cap space goes. I mean, they're, they're still fifth in effective cap space right now. And I think that's part of why they were able to make the Wentz deal, right? Like, we've got this money to spend – even if it's not in a vacuum the wisest money, it's, it's this necessary risk. And then even if we have to pay to get out of it, it was a necessary risk and we have to move on. Maybe it's not going to hamstring them as far as you know, team building goes beyond that. I think no matter who the quarterback is, my broken record is, man, he needs better people to throw to. It was great to have Michael Pittman emerge last year, but you're, they, they didn't do enough to maximize Carson Wentz anyway. So let's, how, how do we want to move forward here? Are we stuck with him? 
I think you're stuck with it. I mean, I, I don't, like I said, unless somebody's willing to trade for him. If you're telling me that there's a decent trade on the table, take it. If but there then, isn't a decent trade on the table. Where are we replacing Wentz? I, I think that becomes less of a problem if somebody's willing to give you something for him. The, my thing is, if if nobody's willing to offer anything, I'm not. I refuse to just cut bait on the first round pick that I haven't even given away yet. Yeah, I mean, you'd ha- if you're if you're going to get rid of him, it, it's it's to try to just it's because you don't believe in him. Yeah, because it's not to save money. It's to it's to it's because you don't believe in him, and therefore you believe in someone else more. Do you believe in Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Teddy Bridgewater? Do you believe in these guys more than Carson Wentz? No, I mean, look, I can see an argument that you could you could cut Carson Wentz, sign Jameis Winston, and it would still be cheaper. Sure, even with eating fifteen million dollars of dead money for Carson Wentz's deal. Like what I'm saying is that Jameis Winston will sign a deal that costs less than the $13.3 million you would save from cutting Carson Wentz. I could be, in, I could be tempted to, to make that move. Like, even if a team won't trade for him, you cut him, you sign Jameis Winston for like a one-year, $8 million deal, you might be better, and you're definitely cheaper. Okay, so no matter who the quarterback is, because we could just move on from that position and say whether it is we've traded Wentz, we've replaced him with Jameis, We've replaced him with Mariota. No matter who it is, they ha- we have a mid-tier quarterback here in Indianapolis. Fair? Yeah. We have a middle-class quarterback here. Now, just, just, just cut all my analysis from last year. Just stitch it all in where I said the Colts have to, have to flood the field with good receivers. You have to. And T.Y. Hilton's not only getting older, maybe mulling retirement, but a free agent. Zach Paschal, Mo Alley-Cox at tight end, all free agents. Michael Pittman's the only one remaining. Again, this is where I think they failed. Um, they just did not have enough dynamic playmakers, dudes who got open, guys that were going to make Carson, elevate Carson Wentz because he needs to be elevated. So we're going to do that this offseason. Has to be the priority for the Colts. How are we going to do that? With no first well, round I pick. assume I assume step one for you will be giving them Marquez Valdez Scantling. Wow, that's a good Valdez Scantling would be a great option mm. for the Colts. Needs a deep threat here. Bring yeah. back Alshon Jeffrey for Carson. Oh, Wentz. Bring them all. Bring back Nelson Aguilar. Bring them all back. All right, who's a better option I can give besides Valdez Scantling? Should they be in the Allen Robinson market? <laughs> um. <laughs> Hmm. Mike Williams. Mike Williams would be an interesting one. Let's give him, let's do the, let's recreate the Chargers thing from years ago, right? Of just surrounding Carson Wentz with a bunch of six foot five players that he can't possibly overthrow. Yes. That's what I'm saying. But, but that's what he needs, man. I mean, if you look, we might not replicate, this is why I'm saying this. We might not replicate 2017 Carson Wentz. But if you just go through all of Carson Wentz's seasons and say, what did he have each year? Most years of Wentz's career, he's had one of the best offensive lines in the league. Most valuable run blocking, pass blocking, all of it. He's had one of the best in the league. And he, but he only had one year of exceptional production. And it was when all of his pass catchers were awesome. In part because, you know, they work with him, but 
it was great. Alshon Jeffrey was fantastic. Nelson Aguilar was fantastic. Zach Ertz was great. Um, do you bring in Ertz? You know, old friend Ertz. You know, as as you know, a pass catcher as well. They teased that last year as well. You can go Mike Williams. You can go Zach Ertz at tight end. Yeah, I mean, one of their big problems is that they obviously traded away the first round draft pick for Carson Wentz. So right. They're not going to have that first rounder to attack the area's weakness. They've got to do the majority of the, the heavy lifting in free agency. Um, and that's that's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to do. So you're going to have to attack multiple guys when it comes to wide receiver. I don't hate – this is one spot that I don't actually hate, the Marquez Valdez-Scantling thing. I think Thank that you. actually makes a lot of sense, as does, by the way, Will Fuller. Um, not together, but one or the two. One of the two makes a lot of sense, um, and I think Christian Kirk would be an interesting guy within this offense. Like he showed this season that if you move him into the slot and use him the way the Cardinals did when they've got outside viable players, he can be a really productive third option. That would be an interesting guy, as would Jamison Crowder in that kind of role as well. Like I think there are definitely players that the Colts can attack and try and assemble a receiving core along with. My, uh, Michael Pittman. D- does that look a lot like past years, though? Because we sat here with past years. It's like, well, it's Ty... Uh, I did it. T.Y. Hilton. Michael Pittman, if he takes a step forward, which he did. And Zach Pascal. And it's like, it's pretty good receiving core. You know, some of their parts is, is good. But they need a guy. They need a guy, right? And they need a guy. Like, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm leaning toward a Mike Williams type. Um, and he goes up and gets it. And, you know, it... You also want that guy that's going to induce the aggressiveness out of the quarterback, right? And if you have to make uh, tight window throws to Mike Williams, maybe that's that's pulling some of the aggressiveness out of Carson Wentz. Either way, it, it needs to be multiple players. You tr- I would bring back Moali Cox as a nice compliment to Jack Doyle. That looks like a pretty good tight end group when you have better receivers around them. But yeah, you can't trust Michael Straw necessarily to to break out or Paris Campbell. You could could get something out of them, but you don't rely on them. You know, you just, you know, if it's a bonus, but you have to invest in pass catchers here because whether it's Wentz or Mariota or Jameis, we have a mid-tier quarterback. The other spots, there's two spots on the offensive line. Uh, Mark Lewinsky at right guard, left tackle Eric Fisher. The, The Chris Ballard was, I think, leaning toward not bringing Eric Fisher back. So they need a left tackle again. They, they evaluated the draft last year, didn't love any of the left tackles in the first round, went with Edge, Quiddy Pay instead. So left tackle, a spot that needs to be looked at. So is this a, is this a Dwayne Brown situation where he just I, you get a year out of him? I don't understand not bringing Eric Fisher back. To me, the signing last year doesn't make any sense unless you bring him back this year. Like You signed him coming off an Achilles injury wasn't Achilles, right? You signed so. him coming off Achilles injury in the AFC championship game to play the following season. Of course, he wasn't going to be good last year. Like there was no way he was going to be back to his best. And let's face it. Like as you know, Eric Fisher, with all due respect, it's not the best tackle in the world at his best. So the idea that he was going to be anywhere near at his best coming off an Achilles injury at almost the last possible moment in that season was kind of nuts. To me, the only way that made any sense is if it just sort of puts you in position to re-sign him longer term after that year, and then you get the best of Eric Fisher back again. To You've suffered through like the bad Eric Fisher, and now a year removed from that injury, you should be getting something like the better version. I And 
when you look at the other options available, like unless you want to throw the bag at uh, Toronto Armstead, there aren't really that many options better than Eric Fisher. So just sign him. Yeah, I mean, Quentin Nelson's contract's coming up as well. I, I don't know if I'm spending a ton of money. They've already spent a lot on Braden Smith. If you can get Eric Fisher somewhat cheap again, 8 to $10 million on a one-year deal, two-year deal, I think it's fine. I, I just don't know if, he, if they've soured on him because of the slow start coming off the. But Achilles. again, like if they have, I don't like. I don't understand your logic. If that was the case, like, I agree. Why would you I'm expect you. him to be great coming off an Achilles injury suffered in January? I agree with you. Um, so that's the offense. We've given you some options at receiver. Bring back Fisher. Uh, find a guard somewhere. I don't. You know. It, they're they're good enough everywhere else. I mean, try try to bring back Lewinsky. I don't know what type of market he's going to have as a starting guard, um, but I think they'll be okay along the offensive line. Running backs obviously in good hands with Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines catching the ball out of the backfield. But man, surround Wentz with playmakers. Now defensively, Ballard also came out and said we're just not deep enough on the defensive line. And this is coming off of a couple of years of investment, man. It's coming off of, a, you know, a first round pick and a lot of money for DeForest Buckner, a first round pick on Quiddy Pay, a second round pick on Dio Oduyingbo yes, uh, last year. Uh, so they've spent a lot of uh, resource essentially on the defensive line, but a place that they're looking to upgrade because they're good. They're okay up front, but they don't have a killer pass rush. And I think that's what they're looking for here. Yeah. Uh, and, the good thing is, though, I think that they can attack it with depth. Like, I don't think they're a, a desperate team that needs to go hammering free agency or the draft for, like, elite starters. They've got Quiddy Pay, who I think should be better next year and, and showed enough that well, you'd be intrigued by his potential year one. You've obviously got the big money um, move that you made with DeForest Buckner a couple of years ago. I think their, their high-end players are good. They just need to add some depth because basically a the depth they had hasn't really panned out and b the a lot of it is hitting free agency and they just need to turn it over melvin ingram's number 24 on our board uh overall as an edge could he be the hired gun for the colts not that they're this lock playoff team but i think he could be a good complementary piece to all those other guys that you mentioned charles harris uh last year had a breakout season the former first round pick I don't know if teams are going to trust him enough to have a long-term deal. Maybe you try to give him a prove-it, another deal, just to get some more pass rush in there as well. But that's where I would explore uh, in edge, uh, as far as edge goes. That's what intrigues me about what Ballard's saying in this Colts offseason. I think there are other issues that need to be addressed. And I don't know if the resources are going to go to defensive line and left tackle when, it again, I think it just needs to go on the perimeter where you're going to – that's where you're going to take that biggest leap forward as an organization. Yeah. I mean, to me, a far bigger issue than defensive line depth would be like, who is your, who are your cornerbacks? Yeah. Like at all. Um, Xavier Rhodes is hitting free agency. Rocky has isn't good. Uh, Kenny Moore is great, but he's your slot. Like that. He can't be your number one corner. Um, so you need to come up with a solution as to who your two starting cornerbacks are. I think that's a far bigger issue than, you know, building in some defensive line depth behind the likes of Quiddy Pay and DeForest Buckner. I will say corner is probably a less important position for the Colts versus other teams with how much zone they play. But yeah, definitely someplace you would want to improve. I think DJ Reed maybe could be a 
an intriguing option for them, the former Seahawk, who just uh, just always played well, man. He just he could play cover two, play cover three, do a lot of the things that the Colts want to do there. Uh, Rasul Douglas could be a good fit there. Again, given all the zone that they play, um, the way Douglas can turn the ball over, the way – I mean, that, that could be the other thing too. If you've got a mid-tier quarterback, right, do you try to build this uber-volatile defense – where if you just hit the turnover luck the right way, you're putting your offense in better position to elevate them because they need it. Do you do that with Rasul Douglas? You already have Darius Leonard, you know, forcing fumbles. Rasul Douglas jumping routes and everything. It's just another potential strategy here, you know, if, when you're saddled with the middle-class type of quarterback. Yeah, I mean, Douglas would be interesting given the season he's coming off and the the defense they play. Um, and then Levi Wallace, I think, is another guy that would be perfectly made to fit within this defense that, you know, plays that kind of cornerback-friendly type of system anyway. And Levi Wallace is a guy that's always overachieved relative to expectations. And because the expectations are so low, I think the price would be tiny for him. Uh, they did bring in Gus Bradley to to run the defense as well in Indy so I mean there's not a more predictable coach than Bradley uh, it's not necessarily a knock you just kind of know what he's going to play so anytime Gus Bradley's around uh, Casey Hayward is in play as yeah. well you could get another good year out of Casey Hayward there as well playing playing in the system that he knows and has played well in pretty much every single year except one um, so yeah I mean let's wrap it up on the Colts here uh, add some depth at edge I think in free agency I would I, I think you can address corner the way that we just did you can bring back eric fisher at left tackle and i think you got to go all out at receiver um this is after we've sorted the carson Wentz situation so what are we are we are we pivoting to Jameis? is that what we're doing here if you tell me i could save money i would pivot to Jameis. yeah yeah and I, you in but you still have it's got to James, you maximize Jameis by giving him great dudes to throw to. And I know, again, that sounds like, oh, that's every single quarterback. Well, yeah, it is. Um, but you can't not do that. You know what I mean? Like, you can't – just like I didn't – I don't think the Colts could have pivoted to Wentz and not given him great receivers, right? I mean, can, you, can you trade for Aaron Rodgers and not give him great receivers and still win? Sure. But I don't think you can do it with a Wentz or a Jameis. So you have to address both together. Jameis Winston made $1.1 million in 2020. He made 5.8 in 2021 based largely off incentives. So I would imagine you can re-sign or you can sign Jameis Winston if you're a team for under $10 million. Carson Wentz cutting him, you're going to have to eat 15 million of his guaranteed money, but cutting him would save you 13 point, whatever I said it was for. Is it worth trading Wentz plus a draft pick to see if somebody will eat the cap space, that old Brock Osweiler deal? Ooh. I mean, again, if the trade, if you can convince a team. I don't know who does that, though, because he's to trade for Carson Wentz. I will listen to any offer on the table. He's still a starting caliber quarterback, though. And like the only the first team that has the most effective cap space that needs a quarterback is the Broncos. So would you, like if the Broncos miss out on Rodgers, could you convince them to take a pick and Wentz and they have a starter and they're very unexcited about it, but they have a starter. 
but they get an extra draft pick because they're in year two of their build, right? New coach and the whole thing. What would the pick have to be? That's the tricky part because they don't have a first. The Colts don't have a first. And if you're going to give up, a se- you can't give up a second. Right. Osweiler was a second wins? in like 18 million bucks. No. No, it's not happening. All right. So it's not happening. So it's Carson Wentz and just load up with playmakers here. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Don't forget, NFL Pod, 25% off all of our great stuff over at PFF.com. Every single, every single subscription using the promo code NFL Pod. Get your QB annual today. All right, let's wrap it up. Houston Texans, man. What are we doing? Hmm. How hard could it be? Uh, very hard. To fix the Houston Texans in an offseason? Yeah, good luck with that. They the, need everything. The rumors are already out there that there will be three massive trades with the Texans, starting with Deshaun Watson, followed by Laramie Tunsil, their starting left tackle, and then receiver Brandon Cooks. So the three assets that the Texans have almost certainly going to be traded. When I look at their roster right now, I think it's the only way. I think it's the only way. You have to. You have to trade whatever assets you have left. I think that's just where they are. I mean, look, yeah, if you can – trading Laramie Tunsil, fine. Trading Brandon Cooks, okay. I see my earlier statement for trading Deshaun Watson. That's just not happening until his legal stuff gets worked out. So – what you're telling me is you've, t- you've, you've traded away your two good players. Uh, your third good player is in limbo until somebody decides whether he's going to jail or not. So now you need literally everything, but you have some extra picks to work with. Yeah. yeah that's Excellent. Right. Here's so what- we got rid of, we got rid of Tunsil and cooks. What did we get back? Draft picks. Yeah. What are the picks? Uh, Cooks can probably net you a second. Okay. And I think Tunzel might be able to net, net a first. All so right. Who would so we have an up? extra first and an extra second. That's what we're working with here? Uh, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to send Tunzel back to the Dolphins for one of those <laughs> first-round picks, potentially. Cooks, okay. I'm trying to think of the teams that have the multiple first-round picks. The Eagles, would the Eagles give up a middle first for Cooks? Probably not. Uh, Tunzel for a late first from the Dolphins. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. Let's just say we're now working with number three overall, somewhere in the middle of the first and an early second in addition. Like, that's what we've got to fix the entire team. Yeah, well, let's let's start with free agency. I, here's what I think just needs to happen. To, re, to reiterate, last year at this time, they signed a lot of players, a lot of depth players, and, and a and there's in several that were on one-year contracts, like Desmond King. They got a year of Desmond King, and he's gone. Um, also hitting free agency, Malik Collins and Neville Hewitt and Christian Kirksey and Jacob Martin. Like, all these guys are hitting free agency. None of them, you're, they're not foundational pieces for your roster. So when I go to free agency this year, I need to sign young players that are going to be a part of my team in 2024, 2023 and 2024. So that has to be the way the Texans attack free agency this year. If they do it the same way they did last year, because you can't just only rely on the draft. The draft is going to be the key. It's the bottom of the pyramid. It's what you're building upon. I'm using foundation a lot, but it's your foundation. But you also need to find free agents that are going to be there two years from now which they didn't do last year. 
So who are those guys? It literally is every position, though. Yeah. I mean, you look at this depth chart and you're asking a genuine question of how many players that are on it right now are even part of any sort of future. Like, I'm sure there'll be a couple just because you typically don't turn over 100% of the roster in a couple of years. But there's very little in terms of players that you think will definitely be part of this thing going forward. I assume Marcus Cannon will be there for a while. I assume Nico Collins will be there for a while. Um, assuming we've traded away Brandon Cooks and Larry Tunsil, obviously they won't be. Uh, like, there's just there's not that much there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would go, I would look at our free agent list in the in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and just find the guys that are still in their 20s. And those are the types of players. Like, we've mentioned Michael Gallup a lot. We've mentioned Darius Williams at corner. And, I mean, those are the guys that can sign four-year contracts and still be a part of this team in a couple of years. Like, we're not – you can't go to just the – you can't just sign a whole bunch of special teamers again. DJ Reed, mention him again. He's 25. Christian Kirk's 25. Not that I want – I probably don't want to spend – top receiver money for him. DJ Chark's 25. I mean, those are the types of guys. Austin Corbett, starting guard, 26. That's where I'm going. It's literally every position, but I'm going for guys that are 25, 26 years old that I can sign to four-year contracts at reasonable prices. Like, we've we've projected Austin Corbett to make four, you know, go four years, 9.25 million. Yeah, that, that's the type of player I want. And it's got to be pretty much every position across the roster. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like... <laughs> You know, we can name all these guys, all these players of just these younger, potentially foundational pieces, guys that can be a part of this team going forward. Um, but it is everything. It's every single position they need to hit. I mean, we had that email a while ago that was essentially asking, what did the Houston Texans actually achieve in the last 12 months other than the passage of time? They brought in all these guys from a year ago. They flipped a few of them for like six, seventh round draft picks. Most of the guys they brought in are not going to be part of this thing going forward. So they basically just killed some time and they didn't really discover anything at the quarterback position. Davis Mills, you know, flashed some ability, but not to the point where you'd be like, oh, that guy's a superstar. He's our franchise quarterback going forward. You're still in limbo with um, Deshaun Watson. You're just, we're just treading water here until I'm not sure what we're waiting for. Like maybe it is for Deshaun Watson stuff to get worked out so that we can finally trade him for three first round draft picks and then have like a real, you know, keystone to build this entire uh, revamp on top of. But right now it feels like the Texans are literally just treading water waiting for something. Same thing with the head coaching deal, by the way, like again, for two years in a row, we've just like, I don't know, called some people up, had some interviews, tread it like, and then we've just gone at, not this year, let's sign this dude and we'll just tread water and we'll do the whole thing again in a year's time. Like I just, the entire Texans franchise right now feels like it's treading water waiting for something and I have no idea what they're waiting for. They also have nine draft picks at the moment. I I, I want to get to 15, whether it's through Tunsil and Cooks. I, I want to have five picks in the top 100, you know, roughly five or six picks in the top 100 and just pick the best players. That's it. So, like, the free agency, find young guys, pick your name, just grab a whole bunch of guys. What are they doing at number three in the draft? I would feel best. I, I love Kyle Hamilton as a player. Something in me just doesn't want to have take a safety in the top five. 
Um, I've seen him there. If Evan Neal's there, I probably feel comfortable with that. If Aiden Hutchinson's there, I feel comfortable with that. I'm trying to trade it as much as possible, but I don't think that whoever would need to trade up is the same dilemma I'm talking myself through. Who's, right. Who do you love enough you know, to, to draft there? Um, we've talked about Derek Stingley a lot, but Lovey Smith is the coach. He runs a lot of cover two. Cornerback's not a great fit there. Um, so I don't love the spot at number three for the Texans, to be honest. But I think whatever you can do to get to 15 draft picks in this draft, um, whether it is trading down from three or whether it is the Cooks and Tunsil stuff. But I, I don't love the spot at three unless I know that Evan Neal or Aiden Hutchinson is going to be there. I'm going to wait on QB too. I'm going to wait on the quarterback position because that needs to be addressed. I'm not building around Davis Mills. I'm going to take another shot, but I would rather take a shot probably at 35 or from, or if I trade down in the first round or pick up a mid first round pick, that's where I'm going to take my quarterback. To me, the fact that they need everything gives them a certain freedom to chase special with number three overall. Um, yeah. Because you're not limited anymore by like, hey, we need to target these positions of value and blah, blah, blah. You can just say, look, we have every single player we need. So who tell me who's the special talent in this draft right now. And as much as generally speaking, safety is not a tremendously valuable position. If you find a dude that's legitimately special, he changes everything. And we saw that with the Seahawks for years with Earl Thomas. Like that guy was the was the thing that let that entire defense function and nobody else has been able to replicate that defense to the same degree because nobody has had an Earl Thomas to make it work the same way. Kyle Hamilton might not turn out that way, but Kyle Hamilton has special ability. Like that guy leads this draft class in place where he just pops up from absolutely nowhere and makes an insane play. Most of the time drafting a safety that high, I think would be crazy, but Kyle Hamilton, I think, is the best safety prospect to come along in a long, long time and might change the entire math on that the way, you know, a guy like Quentin Nelson changed the math on how high you can draft the guard. Yeah. So I think the Texans are in a rare position of like flexibility and, and sort of they're not burdened by, you know, needing a couple of positions or having to stick to something. They can just go. I, tell me who the special talent is. I want to take him at number three. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he's 6'4", 220, incredible range, as you mentioned. Can play deep, can play close to the line of scrimmage. I would hope that the Texans would tap into that versatility to, to maximize his ability. So, yeah, I think that, that's fine. You can talk me into that. Let's take Kyle Hamilton at three, and let's attack free agency um, shrewdly, but with youth, and, and not just filling out a roster but with people that are going to be there in a couple of years. Has to be the way to do it. And we're just going to, and I would trade Tunsil, trade Cooks, whatever happens with Watson, accumulate those picks and just, just load up on the entire roster. Uh, QB, how are we addressing quarterback? And we'll wrap up the show. I mean, again, because this is a multi year project, this is not something that's getting fixed in one offseason. I, I, give the job to Davis Mills for next year. I have no problem letting him take a year, kind of like the Jalen Hurts thing for Philadelphia last season, right? Let's give him the season. We're not really expecting him to be the guy going forward, but if he proves us wrong, it's a good problem to have. So give Davis Mills the job. Let's see. You're probably assuming Davis Mills is not going to be the dude going forward. 
But if he shows, you know, a jump forward in year two and looks better than he did year one, then yeah, maybe he becomes your starting quarterback going forward. All right, so I'll buy into that. And I'll say the second piece of that strategy, though, is let's assume we don't love one of these QBs. If one of those five top QBs is available at 35, I'm taking them. If Desmond Ritter is there, if Sam Howell's there, Kenny Pick, any of those guys, if there is a, if those quarterbacks drop, I will take them top of the second. Still roll with Davis Mills, but just at the off chance, I'll, it's the Drew Locke pick that I always say was the right process, right? You take the quarterback just in case because he could be good. Um, that's assuming we did get to those 15 draft picks. Yeah, so I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't grab one just because. Like, if any quarterback drops to that spot, grab one and we're good. Because the, because this team is just a mile away from anything. So if one guy that you happen to love, but you didn't think was worth taking number three, fell that far, sure, I can see an argument for that. But I wouldn't grab a quarterback just for the sake of grabbing a quarterback because I think this is just. There's, he can't play. Like, you can't plug him in year one, given the state of the current roster. So you're sort of taking him as this the development. We sit for a year, and then maybe, like, it just seems like a waste to me. So if a guy that you happen to think is amazing falls that far, sure, I don't have any problem with jumping on the value, but I wouldn't grab a quarterback at that spot just to grab a QB. Well, fine. But you don't know. You don't know how your evaluation is. But, yeah, I would. I'm just saying keep an eye on it. But uh, there's nobody I think that's going to be, you know, in play at three for the Texans. We'll see though. So there we go, fixed-ish. Can we just move, we'll just get them moving in the right direction this yeah. off season? Um, anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We made it through eight teams. We have 24 to go, and uh, these these shows will be spread out over these next couple weeks. Uh, don't forget the charity drive. Check out Sam's pinned tweet at pff underscore Sam, and I'll get. I'll get my charity up there as well, and we'll be dueling charities. We'll, uh, we'll see you can – how is this going to work now? Whoever raises the most has to go yeah. through the punishment, yep. but the money still goes to both charities no matter what is raised, right? Yep. Okay. All right. So I think I – strategically, I, I think I want to maybe earn like a dollar less than you, but still a lot of money, right? That's what, that's what you're rooting for. Well, it depends what your punishment is. It On the other hand, if you want to raise the most money, you need to do the most like horrific thing possible. True. Very true. Anyway, go check it out. Uh, appreciate everybody. Anything else here, Sam? No, I think we're good. All right. We're we'll out. be back on Wednesday. Send us your emails, nflpodcast at pff.com, and uh, maybe we'll read it on air and answer your question. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you on Wednesday. Wednesday.